What's up, listeners? Welcome to Predator <laughs> versus Movies. I'm Alex. I'm Groot. What? What? <laughs> Holy shit! That's crazy. <laughs> Guys, we have a special That's guest awesome. on today's oh, on man. today's episode. Dude, and that is because, such a coincidence. Because he reviewing... is. Yeah, yeah, we're reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and because he is Groot. He can only say three words in, in a particular order. We so are Peter's, Groot. No, stop. So Peter, Peter's not here today. He's replaced by Groot. Uh, but we also have, as usual. I made it. I was, I was half expecting you to give us another surprise that you were somebody else. Oh, okay. I don't know who you would have chosen. But uh, anyways, this is a podcast where we uh, usually discuss and review the latest movie releases. But this week we're going to be doing another throwback episode while we take some time off. Uh, so we're going to be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, and so we're going to start off with our non-spoiler reviews before diving into a deeper discussion of the film. Then we're going to ask the most important question, would this movie be better if the alien from Predator was in it? Aiden, what is uh, some information about this oh, movie? Oh, it's, it's so about? jarring that we go right into that. I wasn't I even paying attention there. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it was written and directed by James Gunn, starring Chris Pat Zower. <laughs> Chris Pat? I didn't even spell no. it wrong. <laughs> Chris Pratt, but you did sp- spell Zower Saldana, uh, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillan, uh, Palm Clementif, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell. The DOP was Harry Brom, Braham? Braum probably Doing great. Uh, runtime two hours and 17 minutes and the budget was 200 million uh, American dollars thank that's you very much sorry what was that Groot that's a lot of money man like holy million? shit you could speak normally <laughs> what? dude hey you know it's just uh, it's just for the secret, movies it's, that you do it's that? my secret talent actually you know oh yeah usually, usually Groot can't talk but this is this actually no actually we have Groot the actor not to be confused <laughs> yeah. with the character he plays in the movies so yeah. Groot the actor can speak normally most you know uh, anyway so we're gonna be playing our game uh, Predacritic there's a, a website on the internet called Metacritic where critics' uh, scores of a movie are tabulated out of 100. Uh, if it's 60 or above, it's green. If it's 80 or above, it's must-see. If it's in the 60 to 55, 45 range, sorry, it is yellow. And if it's below that, it's red. We are going to guess where uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 lands in that metric. Now, last week when we did Guardians 1, I did get a tiny sneak peek at what uh, this movie's score is. So I have decided to abstain uh so that we are completely fair so it is just between peter and aiden this week to guess and who is going first is uh aiden Ooh. um okay i don't know i i am i'm in a bad position because i don't remember what the first one was my memory is that bad we recorded that episode just a few days ago and i don't remember so uh, I don't really have something to measure it by, but I do think that I think this movie is not as good as the first one, and so I think that it will be. But it's not a bad movie. I'm I'm feeling like low seventies. I think like low seventies, maybe high sixties. Uh, but I'm not really sure. So I'm actually gonna go seventy. I'm gonna go seventy straight on. Interesting. And Peter. Um, seventy three. Okay. Seventy 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 three. 
Yeah, I can't game the system, right? Because only two well, people are guessing. Well, technically, technically speaking, you should only be guessing 71 or 69. There's Technically, there's no reason to be guessing anything else. That is true. If you think but you have already... <laughs> Peter's not good at gaming the system. Also, I like you just like... You just guessed. You didn't. You didn't have any <laughs> conversation. I'm saving it. I'm saving it yeah, for the saving spoiler it. review. You just went sure. like right into it. Uh, yeah, so bro. Aiden does win this round. It is a 67. Okay. Uh, well, and that I think, is low. Wow. I think that's more or less fair, actually. I. Uh, that's right around where I'd. Yeah. yeah. Peter thinks it's low though. Uh, so as the winner, Aiden, you get to go first. For I have decided we are going to do non-spoiler reviews. I think it just works cool. better. Uh, yeah, so what did you think about this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think that the heart and the drive that is present in the first one is still here. Like, it's clear, still clearly people who care a lot about what they're doing. I think the characters are still fleshed out very well. I think the character relationships are, like, the best part of this movie. Um, however, this movie is nowhere near as tight. It kind of... I remember feeling that the first time I watched it, and I definitely felt it this time. It kind of spirals, like the plot is just not tightly wound. It, the plot just kind of tight spirals a little bit, and it also it struggles to balance its like a plot and its b plot. I think, um, I think that yeah, the conflict should develop a little bit differently than it does. I although I will actually say I think that this movie is generally like better looking than the first one. Although I put a caveat to that, which is that there are some scenes that I think don't look very good at all. I think like that just look very staged. And I noticed a specific trend that I'll get into, but it's like, it's a specific type of shot that is always boring in MCU movies. And I don't really understand why it's like a coverage brain kind of shot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I still definitely enjoyed this movie. I think there's a lot to get out of it. Um, I'd probably give this three and a half stars, um maybe three but i think three and a half is fair just because i just enjoy watching this movie I, I just like it so i'd give it three and a half i probably would recommend it to people um yeah cool uh peter what did you think so actually uh when it comes to rewatch at least i enjoy this one much more than the first i think this one's uh it's more timeless than the first for me personally uh and i actually ate an even though you said the plot is less tight, which I absolutely agree, I actually think that's a strength of the movie because the uh, like the banter between the Guardian members is, I think, a huge strength of this movie where we already have this sort of family set up and now we get to see how they interact with each other in a much more natural and character-driven way instead of like focusing a lot more on the backstory of each character, which I, I thought it was hilarious always always works and uh, just a joy to watch on the screen uh but i i personally liked it more than the first one if uh if you're asking me right now i think objectively it might not be as good of a movie compared to the first one but subjectively i think it is uh and i always have a you know uh, the couple scenes always get me pretty emotional uh i think it's easily four out of five for me, and I recommend this to everybody. It's a great movie. Cool. Yeah, um, I would say that I'm probably closer to Aiden's camp, but maybe somewhere kind of split between you guys. Um, I definitely, having seen these two so close together, I definitely can say that the first one is better for me. Um, I think there's a bit of leeway in terms of like 
like one could probably have preference over the other, and we've displayed that here. But I, I do think that Guardians One has some strengths over Guardians Two. I think I think it has a stronger tone. Uh, I think the tone for this one certainly got a lot goofier, which is something we have seen in some other franchises. I can't remember which one was that Thor we were talking about, where Th- it just well, keeps... Thor gets super goofy, yeah, yeah, and it's like I actually preferred when things were like really dire and even when things are supposed to get kind of dire in in this movie you don't really feel it the same as when like um ronan was gonna destroy xandar in the first one um that being said uh this movie makes me like cry a a lot more like this one destroys me emotionally every time i see it and like not anywhere close uh to the the first one like the first one doesn't do that at all uh this one like just several moments are just so sad in this movie uh so props on that but yeah i do find the the comedy is like like really annoying in this one sometimes which is not a problem i had with the first one i was i consistently enjoyed the comedy of the first one and this one i found more annoying um i think this one does a good job of like developing the relationship between all the guardians uh it's really easy to track all of the different side stories uh how each guardian is developing and and in most cases like with several characters they have uh, a plot going which is interesting um what else can i say about this movie oh the third act is a bit messy and i didn't like it and the second act is a bit kind of slow and stale as we we kind of stay in one spot for a while but um i think that's most of it yeah i don't know it's it's all right. It's like I, I gave. I think I would give it a three and a half. Um, not good enough for a four for me, but I think better than a three. Uh, and I think yeah. So uh, and and of course I would recommend people go see this. I, I still think this is one of the best of the MCU movies. So uh, so with that out of the way, uh, I think next for us is our uh, synopsis. Right. So we have yeah. a spoiler warning, Aiden. Pew, 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 wee, wee, wee. Oh, a little bit of gun action and a little bit of siren. Okay. A yeah, bit of I've been sprink- I've been sprinkling them in the past couple episodes. Okay, yeah. uh, and now because I uh, did Cheated. get a sneak at the, uh, well, I was actually doing my job and <laughs> uh, looking for the synopsis uh, or the the score that is. Uh, I've there's been a bit of a mutiny on this podcast, as it were, kind of similar to the film. Uh, and I've been forced to do the synopsis. So, you know what? I'll play ball. And, uh, you know, it's usually I'm not the loser. So I'll uh, I'll have a taste of the synopsis medicine. Uh, it's also, it's an established rule now. So if any of us mess it up, then, you know. That is true. This apparently it. has happened before. And I, I vaguely recollect that happening. But Okay, so here we go. Three, two, one. I will go. Uh, okay, so we start with um, Kurt Russell is on Earth with... Uh, mommy quill and he fucks her then we go to the sovereign and there's a monster attacking and the guardians uh defeat the monster to save the batteries for the sovereign who are the gold people who are really uh stuck up about genetics they're basically nazis so much nazis in these films Mm. uh they leave the sovereign uh once they get nebula from them in uh return for doing the thing rocket steals some batteries the sovereign chase them because of it uh they crash land the ship uh after a space battle uh, and they crash land on a planet. Uh, there, 
Well, first they are saved from the Sovereign by Ego, and Ego catches up with them on that planet, and he says, Quill, I'm your daddy. Uh, Quill and Gamora and Drax go with uh, Kurt Russell, who is uh, Ego, and uh, with his uh, kind of servant, Mantis, um, to his planet. Meanwhile, Rocket stays with the ship with Groot and, who is a baby, and Nebula. Uh, Rocket and Nebula are found by the Ravagers, who have had a bit of an issue with, uh, kind of internally, and a mutiny happens, and Yondu is overthrown as the leader by Taserface. Uh, it, we also learn that Yondu was uh, kicked out of the Ravager as a larger Ravager group by Sylvester Stallone uh, because he was dealing in kids. Um, on the planet, uh, things happen, and it's eventually revealed, I'm skipping way ahead, that uh, Ego wants to make everything himself. He's been going around the galaxy fucking people and trying to make everything him. Um, Rocket and Yondu escape at some point. This is really hazy. I don't remember what happens at all. Um, and they escape and blow up Taserface, and they go save the Guardians, and they stop Ego. Um that was brutal uh nebula comes back and gamora and their friends and yondu dies okay i'm out of time does someone want to help fill in the the blanks there that's pretty much it towards the end yeah i mean like once quill realizes that uh ego was the one who actually put the tumor in his mom's head quill is like fuck you ego you suck and then that's when he turns on uh ego because he had previously like been kind of groomed by him a little bit um yeah and so, yeah, then they're fighting. And, yeah, the Sovereign does show up, and they're quickly dealt with. <laughs> the so- Sovereign shows up, and then they're all dead in, like, five minutes. Yeah. So it doesn't really But they're matter. not dead dead because they they're were not dead. Just, they're just they're remotely yeah. py- py- piloting sh- uh, ships. But they are but yes, no longer a problem very quickly. Yeah, yeah. very quickly. Um, also important to note that Eagle's whole plan was to uh, indoctrinate uh, Quill into his idea of he just needs more power to do what he wants, basically. And yeah. Quill, because he is his biological son and has, shares some of his celestial powers, is able to help Ego fulfill his goal to spread his, I don't know, blobbiness across, across the galaxy. Yeah, also by, I guess it's also important to know that by killing Ego, uh, Peter like relinquishes like any of the power he had from that, so... Also true. Quill has like superpowers for a little bit, but because Ego dies, he doesn't have them anymore. Yep. Okay, I think that's uh, probably good enough. So we're going to get into our spoiler discussion. Now, usually we start with our favorite part, but just for this movie, I've decided to start with what is the saddest part? Uh, this is obviously a subjective question, but uh, I had a tough morning rewatching this, so I thought this would be fun to talk about. Uh, Peter, why don't you start? I know you also react similarly to this movie. Oh my god. This movie got me crying in the theater the first time I saw it. And uh, it didn't, like, it didn't have the interstellar effect, which, like, got me full-on crying both times. But I, I had tears in my eyes, man. Um, which part, though? When I was, when I was re-watching it. Uh, I won't steal the obvious one. I think I'll leave the obvious one to one of you two. But I would talk about when Quill was giving the eulogy. That actually hit me surprisingly hard this time. I think mm. the first time around is when, like, you realize that Yondu's gonna die. That's when it's like, oh my god, not Yondu. Uh, but, like, this time, actually, it was the eulogy that hit me really hard. Um, and I think, like, during, during, it's just, like, it's such a cathartic moment for Quill. 
to realize like hey like even though he's not your biological father even though like you thought he's always been like um like he's threatened to eat you etc you know like in the end he is the father figure that you've been missing this whole time and he's right there all along and uh and also gamora similarly having like the similar cathartic moment where the person you're trying to find is like right there all along uh, is very very powerful just having like this sort of cathartic moment in the entire group um and uh yeah that's when you know there was my eyes got were watery <laughs> 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 I will add on to that scene. What yeah. I really like about that scene is how it uh, interweaves the comedy as aspect into it as well. Like, like Peter's it, It's monologue. supposed to be the saddest part, man. No, but what what I like about that scene is that it's a moment of like good tone balancing where like it stays serious and sincere while also like putting a few like jokes that are that feel like they fit the monologue into what Peter's saying. And that's what I like. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I think uh, Drax was, like, doing some commenting. Or was it Rock Africa? Well, it's also even just what Peter is saying, where I, f- I forget exactly. Like, he's talking about, like, David Hasselhoff. And he's talking yeah. about, like, yeah, and, my and you know, they both killed robots and stuff like that. Like, I think it's a well-written and well-delivered. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. It's very, like, like, like we said about the first film. It's very, like, no moment does it break the consistency of the character it's always um uh, like we we hear we see things and we know okay it makes sense it's believable that uh star lord gamora these people would do these things so yeah absolutely agree yeah uh it's definitely written it's a it's a eulogy written in the star lord voice which is great yeah aiden did you have a saddest part not really i don't find this movie that sad i in fact find it like kind of uplifting at the end like i think it's like a sweet feeling at the end of it like okay i will sorry i don't mean like saddest like necessarily like that's the emotion but like what's if any part i I will tell you no part makes me teary-eyed i'll say that but i will say like parts that make me a part that actually makes me emotional is a very um like small i don't i don't want to i don't say that to discount it i think this is like a well a good emotionally charged movie but when Sean Gunn's character is witnessing the funeral and you can see like the excitement brimming up inside of him. And then he's just like, yeah, like I love, I love that moment. That was ingrained in my head from like the very beginning, but I just think, yeah, I I think that's a great moment. Yeah. That's one of those few moments where you're like, Oh fuck. What's a word when like, when you're like, maybe nepotism isn't a bad thing. (laughs) Like like also, but like putting like your every movie, director like, does that. Yeah, no, I know, but like also like like he's good. I like Sean yeah, a lot, and he's good I agree. When he does. Um, I have a couple parts that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, I scrolled away. First one, like earliest in the movie, is the the where's Quill moment, where everyone's like like Rocket. They're all on the ship, and only Quill and Yondu are still down in the depths oh, yeah. with Ego, and. I think first it's Gamora who's who's like, where's Quill? And Rocket, like, electrocutes her to keep her safe on the ship. And then Drax is like, where's Quill? Where's Quill? And they're all yelling for their friend. I was like, no, nah, man. <laughs> it's too good. Oh, man. So that one got me. Uh, did, did you have any reaction to that moment, either of you? Yeah, yeah. I love that moment. I think it's just, like, you know... Um, 
the fact that it's coming from Rocket out of anyone, you know, Rocket is the one who electrocutes Gamora is sick, and uh, Drax, who's usually like the the little silly comedic character, the muscle, you know, caring so much about the guy who's just constantly he roasts all the goddamn time, is just lovely. You know, it's like even though like on the surface they're all bickering, they're all like you know there's so much drama between them, but like. Deep down, there's just such a strong bond between all of these characters, and that moment is just a perfect showcase of that. So, mm. yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a great moment too. I actually do have another part that I think is emotional and great, which is uh, earlier in the movie than that, when uh, Drax and Mantis are sitting on like the steps of the palace, and then Drax like who has a very cool demeanor and is just, like, not revealing much in his face, is just looking out and he's talking about his wife and his daughter. And then, Man- like, when Mantis touches him and she starts sobbing, like, I think that's a great moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really like that. And it's using... It's interesting because it's using character powers to, like... Yes. Like, propel the story, which is really yeah. neat. Yes, that is really cool, yeah. Uh, another one I have is... Um, Man, Rocket just like destroys me in this movie. And so there's the part after Yondu has died and they're all like watching the the funeral procession and whatnot. And Rocket is like, Man, Yondu was like Yondu was like this and this and this and he's like um he he always pushed people away and he was really mean to people and sometimes he stole batteries he didn't need. And when he says that and it's like and it's so obvious that he's actually talking about himself and not Yondu, and that's kind of like his like version of an apology man done destroys me it's it's just like ugh. rocket is so well written like oh my yeah. god the dialogue they give him it fits the character it's funny when it needs to be it's charming otherwise and in this moment it's like just charged enough to give you that punch so rocket is amazing love rocket yeah i agree yeah. rocket's definitely a high point in this movie for sure and i think uh the obviously the the most iconic moment from this film that is uh, emotionally charged. But for, like, I don't think any of us would say maybe it's the most emotionally charged or maybe Peter was just saving it is, of course, Yondu's death scene. Now, Peter, I know you were going to talk about it. Do you want to take us through this one? Well, I was going to give it to you because I, I thought you were going to talk about it. I've talked but, about um, it. I've talked about it a couple, so. Um, I really like that scene. I think, um, you know, like, the er- I, I just love... How they were referring to Yonder as Mary Poppins. <laughs> and it's a bit earlier, earlier, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, the scene itself is uh, Yon, there's only one spacesuit and one jetpack uh, on Rocket. So Rocket gave them both to Yondu. Uh, and because Peter's mask, Peter's like little helmet thing is broken, uh, so he can't breathe in space. And basically, only one of them can live. Um, so in that moment, Yondu gave the suit to Quill, and then Yondu's sort of lifting him up with his jetpack and going out of uh, the, the atmosphere of, of Ego. And it's just like, like, it's like both of them don't want each other to die. And like the fact that Peter's so desperate, like he's trying to like, you know, like rip off the spacesuit and put it on Yondu. But like he realized like he can't. Um, it's just so powerful to see, like, uh, like you have to literally witness a person so close to you, knowing that you can't save them, die in front of you. It's just really well acted from both parties, and definitely 
give you the punch when you're watching it. So it's just it's very great. It's a great scene. Yeah, um, it's for me. I realized this time like it's a combination of the the music, which again is very very good in this movie. Um, the music swells and it's it. I think it does a lot to stir up emotions, but also like Chris. Pratt is giving a fantastic performance, I, yeah. Um, yeah, which I so mean, like, good. people are quick to hate on him, and I, I think there's, you know, maybe good reason, maybe not, but um, he just like, like, I think it's undeniable him, the desperation he shows, and like his the agony of that of like not being able to save someone close to him, and it's it's also like it's the same as his mom, it's the exact same where he's trying to save, um, or like he's he's. In unable to stop someone from dying. Um, I will say I did notice, like, this time, the spacesuit thing makes no sense. I because if you, like, how are you supposed to take it off? If, <laughs> if you're wearing it and it's, yeah. like, on, like it, it just doesn't, it yeah. that's just, like, it's impossible. Like, if you can't take it off then, you can't ever take it off. So he should be wearing that forever. So I don't I don't understand how that works. That's and, that's an example of a contrivance, but and actually because this is a rewatch, I started no like I know the plot going in. I started notice a lot more things. Like they literally mentioned like uh, when uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, Yondu were talking and Contraxia, which is like the another club the clubbing fun planet uh, they were at. Uh, Sylvester Stallone was like, "Oh, you're not gonna have a Ravager's funeral. You're not gonna have that." So, and then this time around, it's like, "Okay, they're clearly setting that up there." <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't think that's a problem yeah. though. Yeah. I like. No, I no mean, it's not a problem. No, no, no. Yeah, I love that moment because, like, you know how I feel about characters saying nonsense words that we don't have any context for. <laughs> and like, that's why he has one line where it's like, "You will never be lit by the fires of troglodytes into the <laughs> sea." <laughs> like, it's like, and I, like I, I love and, and that. Like, I love you, yeah. except like that. It is not even being ironic here. He actually likes these things. I no, I love it when characters in sci-fi movies just say nonsense words and we don't know what they mean. Man, it's just like Blade Runner with the um the the tears in the rain monologue. Like part of that is like you've never seen the stargates of Anna and Alexia, yeah. you know, like whatever. Um I was gonna say man, Peter, what were you talking about right before this? I forget. Oh, oh, um, there's there's actually a couple of things that are like foreshadowing sort of for Yondu's death. So not only do they say like you're never gonna get the funeral, which is I think just like good setup for writing, uh, so that it makes that moment you know important later. Mm-hmm. But there's when when the mutiny happens, all of the people who are on Yondu's side are killed in the same way Yondu eventually dies. They're sent out in the airlock with uh, no oxygen. And I thought there was one other thing, but... Oh, also, just, like, setting up the use of the Basically. glowy suit by Drax is also just good writing to make sure we know what that yeah, is. Yeah. So it's true, all set true. up in advance. Um, now that we And we can her... say it's actually yeah. set up in the first Guardians film because Gamora was out in space and she was freezing up. That's also true. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking of that, actually, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people die out in space in these yeah, I know. Um, it's brutal. Now that we've finished our saddest fart, farts, our saddest farts, um, nice. we can now, yeah, that's about the level of the humor in this movie. Uh, yeah. We can talk about our favorite parts. Um, do you guys have a part that you really liked? 
You guys go first because my brain is always my brain okay. takes a second to boot up all the time. I like how Peter's just nodding. He doesn't have an answer. He's just like, <laughs> "Yeah, I do." I'll go first. Um, I really <laughs> like the scene uh, set to "Come a Little Bit Closer." That song. I was obsessed with that song for a while after this movie. Uh, it's really just like a really great action set piece moment. Um, I didn't care for some of the other ones in this movie, and I think this one's a highlight. Um, yeah. I like uh, the you know the the imagery of like the bodies raining down is really fun, uh, and the the arrow is. I think the arrow is very cool in the first movie, but this is the first one. It's almost like it's god ba- ballet. It's... <laughs> no, no, no. It's like a dance. Oh. Like it's like rhythmic. Oh, like, oh, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like the ribbon dance. Like it's it's very. Uh, artistic and creative um, the way it kind of moves around to the music uh, and they do some fun things in the sequence like they they turn the lights out and then it, the, the hallway is lit up by the glowing arrow as it kills some people it yeah. cuts the string they do the security sh- cam thing yeah yeah they cuts the string on a ship and the ship crushes some people I find that kind of funny um, I also like the shot of Rocket when he like shoots through a wall he kills someone through a wall and then you see the reverse of him through the bullet hole. That's really sick. Yeah. And uh, I think my favorite part of that is, I noticed this time, is the, the the song starts normally, but it gets to a point where they've added to it, like there's an orchestral backing to it, like to make it yeah. kind of like more cinematic and more intense and exciting. And I was like, oh, that like really sells this moment. It's like super exciting now, kind of like adds a climax to the song. Um, that otherwise maybe isn't quite there or isn't as exciting. So that's my yeah. one of my favorite parts. I'll say that my fa- a lot of my favorite stuff is in when Rocket are, and Yondu are in jail in general. I think for me, one of the funniest like bits of the movie is when they're trying to get Groot to give them the prototype fin. Because yeah. I think like that's a very funny concept and they actually escalate it like really well. Whereas like at first it's just like little misunderstandings where like like Groot doesn't understand what we're talking about and then it like it gets to the comical point of like he's dragged an entire heavy <laughs> metal desk <laughs> it's like how could you have thought that that was the thing and then the and then I like that the follow-up to that is a very tiny thing but it's a human toe <laughs> like that, like that. It's funny. there's also the I there's a I also think it's really funny that when he's given the badge like I I really wish I thought this was the joke and then it winds up being something else, but like, cause it winds up being that he thinks it's a hat and he tries to put it on, but I thought he was going to get it and then present it as if that was the thing he was supposed to get, <laughs> which I think is funny. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's a really funny bit. And then also just the conversations that Yondu and Rocket have in the prison, I think are great. Yeah. I think, I think that pairing was like really inspired. I don't know what drove, gun to put those two together other than just realizing like oh these characters are one and the same but yeah like it really sells the movie it makes this movie like amazing i think um, i i agree and I, I think that one of the best written scenes is it's the, it's the conversation where uh peter where rocket reveals to um what's his face yondu rocket reveals to yondu that peter's with ego and Prior to that, Yondu is, like, resigned to his fate, and he's like, I'm not going to get up. But then once he hears that information, that's when he's like, we need to get out of there. But Mm -hmm. he doesn't reveal that the reason is because Peter's in danger, because he's too closed off to do that. Like, he wouldn't admit that. But that is the reason. 
And I think that that's a great, that's a great thing where it's like, it's that bit of information that turns him. Yeah. And I mean, while we're talking about Rocket and Yondu, we might as well segue just into that point briefly. And then we will return to Peter's favorite part, assuming he has one ready for us. But um, I I think it's, uh, like I said, it's great that they're paired together, but I think it's cool that Yondu is like this, like a really perfect representation of what Rocket could become if he doesn't change. I always think that having um, characters represent something like that is always interesting. Like like the 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 threat of not changing, I think, is really strong always. So, um, you know, they're both characters who have had like really troubled childhoods. Like we didn't know this in the first movie, but. Yondu, it turns out, was sold into slavery, and like that's where he was found by the Ravagers. Yeah, um, they both they're... were made to feel like fundamentally worthless, and so like they don't believe it when anyone loves them. And I think like that's that's a great thing that's like drawn between them. Yeah, and they and they push people away, and sometimes they break the rules or do shitty things to act out so that people will like give them that attention. So like. Rocket steals the batteries. That's his whole thing in the movie. And it's kind of suggested that that's why maybe Yondu broke the Ravager code. He dealt with children maybe just so that he could get some of that attention. Or maybe maybe he, he's like, he thinks, like, that's the kind of person I am. I'm worthless, so I might as well yeah. do something really shitty. And I think that's just like, whoa. Really hits you in the feels. I think <laughs> um, they, actually, they actually discuss it when... Um... Uh, I think it's when they just arrived at Ego's planet, and Yondu is like, "Okay, why the fuck do you do that? Why, why did you make us jump seven hundred times?" And then, and then Rocket was like deflecting, and then Yondu is like, "You like, like people like us, like you are me. People like us, um, we we avoid love because that reminds of that reminds us of the gaping hole that's in us, like how much love we're missing." Mm-hmm. Like even as soon as we taste love, we're reminded of the the void inside of us, the lack of love that we we have. I thought that was really great as well. Um, and, and and honestly, like two of the coolest character in the entire film, to be honest. Rocket yeah. just like has the best dialogue. Yondu is just such a cool space dad with the arrow. So mm-hmm. amazing also, pairing. Yeah. I also think it's it's kind of interesting that like like it's it's definitely present in the first movie, but I feel like they turned Rocket's mean level up quite a bit at especially at the start of the movie he's like mm. mean uh and i and, and it's i really, like it <laughs> well no, like i like it in the sense that it's it speaks to his character right like he's found this family but i think it's that like that insecurity that he doesn't belong and so he yeah. feels the need oh, to that's super push great. them away yeah and so he's acting out he's being meaner than he was initially because he's afraid of like losing them and stuff um yeah no i uh, agree that that, that a, i think sick that overall yeah. that relationship is i think my favorite overall part of this movie it's so good uh yeah. peter do you have a favorite moment for us i actually it's really funny because i was gonna save mine um but then i realized you guys both picked moments i would have chosen <laughs> like the uh the the arrow sequence on ravager ship one of my favorite action scenes in the entire film. Um, and I, I'm just a huge sucker for uh, actions going on alongside background music. Um, I think that's just like the best way action is done, where action and music blends together. Um, Big fan of Baby then, Driver. 
hey, you know, I am a fan of Baby Driver. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, and actually, like 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 you said, Aiden, I think I find like the the prison scene very compelling as well between Rocket and uh, Yondu. I think it's like both a self discovery moment for both of the characters, and also it's very funny uh, with Baby mm. Groot. Now, if yep. I have to pick one, um, <laughs> I know we want to go into this scene sooner or later. So I will talk about the beginning of the movie. So that's uh, the oh, title yeah. cards. Um, so when um, when they were at the sovereign planet trying to protect batteries, um, it's very creative how this title uh, this title sequence is done. I guess it's not very creative, but but I really like it. So you really watch the entire action set piece, not from like a third person or like from a main character that's doing the fighting's perspective. You instead follow Baby Groot as he's traversing around the characters as they're, you know, fighting this gigantic space squid. It's both, I think, like a very creative way to represent action and also very accurate to the, to the whole Guardian theme that like, you know, instead of watching the action, you were watching this wacky little tree uh, walking around trying to not get squished um, and also it's just really cool to see like how um, the actions is impacting what baby Groot's doing and how he has to like what, what he has to do to hang on and stay on the platform uh, and just like the action going on in the background it's creative and it's also a very fun action scene to watch yeah I agree I think it's it's just a lot of fun it's a really good way to like hook the audience and uh, start on a high note, I think. Um, I like some of the, some of my favorite moments from that sequence are like very early on shit goes awry and there's something, I don't know what it is, but it's like a giant metal ring and it's on fire and it starts rolling and it's like the comically like things aren't going well kind of like mm -hmm. quick visual gag. Um, I also like when the characters start getting involved and they start like interacting with Groot. So we go from like very close on a tiny Groot to a wide shot with that fits like a whole character. Um, my favorite is the first one with Chris Pratt's Star-Lord when he shows up and he goes, Groot, he just, he, he notices him, he yells Groot and gets smacked off screen like <laughs> immediately after. I find that so funny. Yeah, and I'm very happy to finally explain the, the feud between Drax and baby Groot. Cause you know how like in the in the first Guardians there was a post credit scene where Baby Groot's dancing and mm. Drax is like polishing his blade and he's just mm. like he glares at Baby Groot, Baby Groot just stops, and then <laughs> and then goes back to dancing, and mm. then it, it's the same thing with this one when Drax mm. is on the ground and looking at Baby Groot, Baby Groot stops moving. It's almost like continued. it's a, it's almost like it's a callback. <laughs> It's almost like uh, yeah. they're, they're no, but, but I'm glad they explained it. I was like, Drax never had a problem with Groot. Why is this the problem? And then they, later on, Drax was like packing up, leaving for Ego. Uh, Gamora's like, Drax, what? Like, why'd you have to pack all these things? He was like, Oh, I don't like Baby Groot touching my things. I think that's why they had like a. Oh what? Like, I don't remember that at no, I don't all. Remember that I think yeah. maybe, but like, I just find like you know, I'm I'm happy to finally explain that. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I hate to be a, a, a negative Nelly about this scene, but I, well, it's not Predator's advocate because I just believe okay. this. Just like, I just, I just don't, I think this scene is conceptually a great idea. I think it's a fun idea. I think there are fun parts of it, but it's just awkward. And I think like, 
I don't think I felt this as strongly in theaters, but I remember feeling it a little bit. So it could be a TV screen thing that I'm now watching it on a TV screen. But I think like, so for one thing, this scene feels very staged. And whenever, whenever the characters, other characters come into it, like the Chris Pratt thing, I just, I can't watch that without being like, oh, he's being directed right now. Like someone is saying like, okay, the monster's looking at you. Okay, look here, Groot's there, Groot's there. Okay, so you're yelling at Groot. It doesn't even look like he's looking at Groot to me. Like it's just, it's like a little off and then he gets knocked off screen. It's the same thing with Gamora when she's in there. Um, I don't like when Drax falls into it because it's just, I don't get the joke there. Like it's like what you're saying, Peter, like, I don't think that is explained. I don't understand why Baby Groot won't dance in front of Drax, other than the thing that Drax says, like, there are two kinds of people in this world, those who dance and those who don't. But, like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I just don't get why he does that. And I feel like it goes on too long. Um, And, like, I, I don't know. This scene is just, like, very staged to me. And I just, I, the whole time watching this, I cannot get it out of my head that they're in a blue screen room. And that's, that's just all it looks like to me. And, uh, and honestly, like, uh, I have to give James Gunn credits there. Even though, like, the whole dynamic between Groot and Drax is never explained. But, like, it seems so normal. Like, like, like... That's like, what, it me, doesn't seem normal to me. Like, like, I was like, you know, even though this is not explained, I can totally see this happening between Drax and Groot. Like, Drax is a much more... At least he liked to think he's a much more serious person. Than, uh, than, than, you know, a dancing little happy tree. Uh, so, like, I Why can totally would Groot see care? that. I, I don't know, but, like, I can totally see that interaction. So, like, it worked in the moment. And, like, obviously, when we were breaking it down and trying to describe these, they sound really ridiculous. But I think, um, you know, that's sort of the whole point of the film. It's a really, it's a silly, uh, ridiculous space Space, space Odyssey with a bunch of my messages. problem isn't that it's so. silly. I just don't think there's an explanation for it. Sorry, I'm jumping the queue though. That's fine. Um, I, I I will say I do agree with Aiden. Actually, I don't I don't think the Drax Groot thing is particularly funny. Even rewatching the post credit scene from the first movie with the dancing Groot Drax yeah, thing, that I was like, wasn't funny. Yeah, that's well, the whole thing isn't funny. It's not <laughs> funny that Groot is dancing and then when Drax glares at him, he stops like. I get why that makes sense as a visual gag. It's like, I don't know, dramatic irony or something. Like, we know what Drax doesn't, but it's not, it's not in actuality very funny. Uh, I do understand the staginess of it all, but I think it kind of, for me at least, it works as like just understanding that this is the title sequence. This is like the only part where it's a little bit like we are doing this for the title sequence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's sort of similar to the title sequence from the first one, but I do think that one feels a little less stagey, I would say. Yeah. Like it, it feels more what, regular. It, that's, that, that's Quill in the thing. On more angle. Yeah, that, the, that one feels yeah. way more regular to me. Like that feels... Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's it just, shot very different. It's shot different. They just feel like they're in... And it's not something I'm mad at because I actually feel like they tried to do a hard thing, which is that they tried to do this like continuous shot of Groot coming around, which I think is like the correct way to do this joke. Like you don't want to cut away from baby Groot dancing along, but I think it just like the stitches or maybe they're not stitches, but just like the way characters come into the shot just doesn't work for me. Mm. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
I have well, another favorite before we move on. It's a small one. Uh, I, actually, I have one. I have one thing. This is kind of the Marvel nerd of me. Just about this okay. scene, sorry. They say very clearly that this is an interdimensional monster that they're fighting. Now, that's mm. probably the first time we've heard of an interdimensional or dimensions mentioned in any of the Marvel movies. Back in all the way back in 2017, do you think we're gonna get a reappearance of one of these guys in? In secret, no, in Secret Wars, and like, oh fuck, I like, thought you were talking about Guardians Three. I thought I saw it in the trailer too. I don't, I didn't. Yeah, I checked it's totally it again, in the trailer. I didn't see it. I, I just watched the trailer today, and I, I missed it. But do you think it's going to come back? Uh, maybe. I had a separate question that's only okay. vaguely related, which <laughs> sure. is that, um, I it's a question about Secret War. This is a tangent, but like. So the is the concept of Secret War that both Kang and the Skrulls like they're both part of it? Like they're both doing no. it? Okay, you're just confused. So there's two different events that you're conflating. They both have the word secret in them, which is why it's confusing. Oh, secret invasion is right, Skrulls. Okay. Secret Wars is the one where all the different multiverses have been stitched together to form a place called Battle World. Usually not Kang related anyways. Like that's I'm trying to think who that is. It's um it's God Emperor Doom actually. So it's actually more of a Fantastic Four thing. Um mm. but we don't have them yet, so that's kind of a, a different issue. But yeah, that hopefully that explains that. Okay, that uh, does explain it. Thank you. Peter did want to bring something up though. What was uh, what was that about? Yeah, so uh actually I really the other action scene that I really liked is the whole action sequence in the forest after the crash landed. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. With Rocket? Um, yeah. Like, there I like that scene too. Shot, yeah. There's this one shot where we see the crash ship in the middle, and like we don't see the Ravagers moving in. We just see a bunch of flashlights pointing here and there. Like It's this aerial shot we're looking from above. And I just thought, like, that's just such a great way to showcase, like, them creeping in in a visually interesting way. Instead of just, like, showing, like, uh, you know, like, you are, you're on the ground, camera's on the ground, and you see a bunch of people with guns pointing flashlights here and there. Uh, so that was really cool. And then also, when eventually Rocket's about to get captured, there's a huge standoff, the mutiny's about to happen. And then, like, this works much better in, like, a first viewing scenario, but the way they release, they relieve the tension... Um, for uh, the release attention is instead of like everyone firing at each other, it's literally Nebula shooting Yonder in the head. Like you don't expect it, and that is, but somehow that is such so fitting for the Guardians theme. So really like that one, that that whole thing. Yeah, what I'll what I'll say about that scene, I like that it's exam it's an example of um what these movies are really good at, which is showcasing the characters' abilities really well. And I find that a lot of superhero movies like don't do that, like, I like know. especially yeah, recent MCU. Yeah. What I like about this is that we are seeing that Rocket is clever and he's using like both mechanic skills and just like wit. Like he lures them in and then he's hiding in the trees. And then also like his raccoony of abilities, <laughs> like just <laughs> like like no, I like legitimately I I I, I like that he's like you he's a raccoon so he's utilizing the trees. Like in tandem with his like, with his wit and his smarts, and that's what I really like about this scene. I'm gonna be the one who plays the negative Nelly on this scene. At some point watching this, I was like, it just occurred to me like I actually don't like this. It feels mm. very like, like a scene made to like excite the people 
who like Marvel movies and something that doesn't really fit. It's a kind of like, we'll get into it later, but like the difference in tone between the two Guardians movies, this one wouldn't have happened in the first one sure. um, because it's very, it's very, C- what the fuck is going on? It's very CGI heavy. Oh, Peter is posting in the chat. Thanks, Peter, for distracting me. Um, I found the squid. I have to let you know. I I did see it. Uh, Thank you for that. The squid is, in fact, in Guardians 3, which I I did think it was, but I missed it when I rewatched the trailer this morning. Anyways, um, yeah, there was just something like the shot where, like, the anti-gravity bombs are going off and it's like whoa whoa i don't like that one whoa yeah. so i didn't like I that like and then i really didn't like when there's two guys like it's at the end right before the other the whole ravagers show up and there's two guys and like ah, you're screwed now and he runs up and he he does one and that guy gets shot and then he leaps onto the other one and he goes do 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 and he just like punches him a bunch of times with his tiny raccoon paws but it sounds like a boxer i was just like this it was just a little it was all a little bit too silly for me um mm. I, w- I like i like the moment where he's jumping on the guys and he's planting electric like the thing that electrocutes them i like that part that part worked for me but it was yeah it was maybe too silly for my taste I, I still liked it, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, that Well, that kind of leads into one of uh, our points that we had talked about, which is uh, the difference in tone between the two Guardians films. So something that occurred to me was that in the first Guardians film, it's very self-serious. Um, the villain is treated very seriously, and he has a very serious threat. Um, there are, are lots of moments that are like kind of life and death in that first movie, and this movie um, feels a little bit sillier. And that also is also um, kind of like how the movie handles comedy. Uh, I think the first one does a better job of like slapstick and just character dialogue that is funny, that sounds true to yeah. them. And this one is a little bit like they're really going for gags. And I have yeah. a list of... I'll stop before we I get into my list, but I do have a list of the gags that I was, like, getting tired of, and I just didn't... The gags were not it for me. Um, did you guys notice a difference in tone? Yeah, definitely. I mean, specifically talking to the d- comedy dialogue, I completely agree with that. I felt like... I think the banter in this movie feels very forced, as opposed to the first yeah. one. Like, especially near the beginning, like, the things the characters are said are saying, where it's like... It just feels like, okay, well, they need to be bantering. They need to be. And so it's like, yeah, it's just a little awkward to watch. And I also think that you're, it, it is like a more generally lighthearted film. It feels like less is at stake. And I think that's because, like, literally less is. Like, we don't know that the entire universe is at stake until, like, the very end. Which I think is a pro- like, Like, ego isn't really a threat until the problem. And we'll get into that. But, like... We just vaguely have the sense that Ego's a bad guy until it's revealed, no, I'm going to destroy everything, like, right at the end, and, and it's just kind of like, whatever. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like the characters don't believe they're not going to get out of it at any point, whereas in the first one, it's like, they they literally have a scene dedicated where they're like, we are going to die. We are going to go <laughs> die now, <laughs> whereas this one doesn't have that. No, I, I, I think that's... A- that, to be honest. That's I don't a really think that's a problem. 
but that's a really great insight i think actually Aiden, in that like yeah it's the fact that we don't know that there are stakes and because it's supposed to be like a secret reveal and if we don't know and the characters don't know there are stakes then there aren't any and so how do you have a serious tone like like i think honestly like the goofy tone kind of has to carry the film for a bit until we have those stakes to drive things again so that's actually a really good point um peter did you sense any difference between the comedy yeah and i actually like to me for me personally i think i prefer this version of the comedy a lot more because i think it's a lot more character driven like you can tell you can cl- it's not that you couldn't in the first one, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, it, it, it's, in this one, it's just significantly louder. Like, everyone does it, like, uh, like everyone turns up the volume a bit. You know, like, Rock is more mean, like you said. Uh, I guess uh, Drax has the whole thing about, you know, calling uh, Mantis ugly and stuff so, so like that. But, like, I, I, I really enjoyed that because I think this movie, like you said, is a less serious movie compared to the first one. I absolutely agree. Um, I think it's much more about characters discovering themselves. It's a much more character-focused uh, and driven film instead of having like an intergalactic threat uh, compared to the first one. And I actually really appreciate that never once were they in doubt that they were going to get out of it because they have faith within the team. Like it's, and at the end, what's like, um, I guess the cost of them getting out is instead of like, Losing, uh, you know, losing innocent people, civilians, etc., is losing a member of the team, which is more personal and a much higher emotional stake for them compared to just Zendardian citizens, you know. And I really but that appreciate same, that. That same thing is at stake in the first one. Sorry, Alex, you go though. Um, you're both right. I think um, the the uh, charged emotionalness that was terrible of um, losing a guardian is definitely more at stake here, I think. Uh, it is in the first one because they do. But um, I think this one, the fear of that happening is a lot stronger now that they're, they're closer with each other and they know each other more. So the, and, it's, and it's also like it's a movie, so they put that on display. Like they, they chose to put scenes and dialogue in there that puts that on display more. Um, I think the first movie does a better job in terms of just like, making it clear that there are civilians who are in trouble. And I think the Zandarians being in trouble from the first one's a little bit easier to feel for than the people who are millions of light years away getting attacked by blobs of goo. Like, it's like, okay, sure. Like, I think I think the best part of that was the mother and her baby. Like, that's a really instinctual one where you can be like, oh, no, the mother and her baby. Um, but I think even, like, the people on Earth is just kind of like, Okay, you know. Not my DQ, they destroyed my DQ. No, my thing is that, like, I think, I I don't really care about the civilians. I think that it's totally fine for what's at stake to be, is the group going to be torn apart and then they have to come together. But that's barely a part of this movie. Like, barely. Like, there's one scene right near the end where Gamora and Quill argue, and that's it. Like, that that's the only time where we actually think, like, oh, the Guardians might be torn apart by this. And I think, like, that needs to be more... If that is... Like, so, it doesn't feel like the universe is really at stake because we are introduced to that too too, too late. 
it doesn't really feel like the group is at stake because that's also too late and it's also just not strong enough. And so like nothing's at stake. Like like, like not re- like not until the very end in the third act and by then it's like we've gone this whole thing. Like at no point does it feel like the group is going to divide. I, I even though they are literally in different places there there's always the intention that they're going to come back. Yeah, um I, I, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. I do think that right at the beginning of Act 2, the divide is feels the strongest, I think, which is it's unfortunate that it feels strongest there and then doesn't really sustain. It doesn't escalate that, from there. No, that's what I mean. Like Because Rocket and um, uh, Peter are most at odds then, and that is the moment that I felt like that was like a threat to them staying together. The issue is then they separate and then like they're already separated. You can't separate more than that. Right. And I think maybe what they needed to do was keep having guardians separate. So rockets already off as on his own. Eventually Gamora leaves star Lord to like have some time on her own. And that's when she meets Nebula. So that's like kind of what the idea was. And so there is a bit of a separating moment, but I think, and this, needs, I think it needs to be earlier, though. Sorry to cut you off. Maybe. Um, I, we will get into this later. We, we have a point where we'll discuss some ideas of how we would change this movie, because I always, I always find that fun. But I think maybe if like some of the other Guardians had gone off-world, maybe that would feel stronger, not just like, I'm going to go out into a field. And then Drax is just like doing fuck all. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I do want to circle back. We were talking about tone. Then I had the list of gags. And so this was, I just want to explain what the gag issue I have is. So here's the first one. Nebula's it's not ripe gag. I don't like that at all. I hate it so much. Trying to like force like a gag and then. It's very random. It's it's random and it's obvious that like you know where the punchline is going before it happens. Um, I don't like the the rug gag, which is when the Sovereign appear on Contraxia, where the Ravagers are, and she's going to hire the Ravagers. That not great. Yeah. And they're pulling the the red yeah. the blue carpet, and then it gets stuck, and I'm like, really? This I, is what we're I doing? prefer that to the fruit one, though, because that one at least feels like... Like, I think the... Yeah, I think the comedy... I don't like that, but the comedy of these people who are so arrogant have this entire carpet lined out for them, and in the shot you see that there's, like, a thousand people lined back, like, on the thing. Like, that's kind of funny, and I think that, like, there's more potential there. It's more natural, yeah. and there's more potential to build a gag. I just think the gag they chose isn't very funny. Yo, I disagree. I, I think the fruit one, they overdid it. Like, my problem is not with the gag itself, it's with how many times they did it. Like, eventually when Nebula finally got the fruit, and then she buys it, oh, it's not ripe. Like, but that's it's, too much. It's but not even it's, a joke until then. Like, that's... They, really? They, I thought... They set I it up just a, for that. I thought it's a, it's a joke much earlier on than that. Like, I thought, like, initially when uh, Gamora saying, oh, it's not ripe, you can't eat that, you know? Like, that was okay. But then I really... I loved it when Drax also did that. When Drax was also like, it's not ripe. That, that's just sort of... Like, it's like... One of these things where they're subtly showing uh, the bonds that's between the Guardian members, and also you don't expect Drax to participate, to partake on a joke like this. So it's sort of that aspect as well. It's surprising to see Drax to tell that joke. 
Um, I actually found that moment really funny when Drax said, "Don't, don't touch it. It's not right." <laughs> I think I think Drax doubling down on it is kind of funny, but it, maybe it's it's the fact that Nebula says the exact same line. Like it should have. Like maybe what would have been funnier is she takes a bite into it out of like that kind of rebellious spirit, and then just like doesn't say anything, but is like. Like very or like, clearly, like like unhappy like is with it, swallowing really hard, like as yeah. if it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still quite silly as an idea, yeah. but I I do agree with Aiden. I think the the rug thing has more potential because the sovereign are like funny, but it's the fact that they also know that they're funny makes it not funny. And so yeah. I can explain this pretty well in that what is funny in comedy is incongruity when something thinks when something treats itself so seriously but is actually stupid that is Mm -hmm. funny but when it is self-aware enough to be laughing then it kills the incongruity and it's no longer funny so the fact that the sovereign are like constantly laughing at themselves and like like they should never be laughing they're so self-serious people that yeah like i don't understand why there's so many scenes well where they are laughing at one another it like I just found like I think the I issue also, is generally in comedy when like like if you're watching a comedy film I don't want the characters to be laughing I'm laughing at them and that's what's like it's weird when it it, it makes it seem like the movie is telling me what's supposed to be funny and it's not because you've just been like hey look wasn't that funny the character is laughing at what just happened but that's not funny anymore. It also, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's just the wrong gag that the thing would get stuck because they're supposed to be yeah. perfect. And so, like, the joke should be in that they're so dedicated to doing these things and to everyone else, it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? The joke yeah. shouldn't be that, no, they're not perfect. No, they're not pristine. No, they have they have squeaky carpet roller. Like, that's that's wrong. It should be something that is more in line with what they actually are. I agree. Yeah, it's just a dumb gag, but the moment is ripe for... It is... That moment is ripe, but it's ripe for a different comedic thing. Um, I think maybe my least favorite joke, not not so much a gag, but um, was the taser face thing. Oh my god, I hate... I don't mind that one as much. time around. What? You liked it the first time around. The first time around? When I was 15... I liked it when I was 15, Peter. That's crazy. Wow. Jeez, this movie came out like six years ago. Like, don't hold me. Don't hold me to what I thought six years ago. That's I'm not gonna do the same for you. Anyways, Taserface is one of those like things where the comic book movies are kind of. Now I will. I will double. I'll back up. Whatever. (laughs) I'll explain (laughs) it first. So sometimes comic book movies make fun of characters' names. And sometimes yeah. people find that annoying. Like when characters were laughing at uh, Dr. Octopus, they're like, your name's Dr. Octopus? Pff, that's so stupid. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, like that's what the thing is. If you're ashamed yeah. of it, then why are you doing this at all? Like just accept the world for what it is because yeah. it's not funny when... Like, most people don't think Dr. Octopus is a silly name. They're just like, yeah, that's what his fucking name is. Yeah, because when I was a is. kid, I... I, when I was a kid watching Doc Ock, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, yeah, it's Doc Ock, yeah. That's his name, yeah. Like, um, yeah. So that's that's an example that's really egregious. I do think Taserface is a different example because 
A, it fits Rocket's character very well to make fun of someone for their name, and B, um, Taserface is not like a character anybody knows or gives a shit about. Yeah. So it's kind of like whatever. It's also it is a dumb name in the context of the world. Like people aren't named shit like Taserface. It's very Star Lord of him. But like even Star Lord is less dumb. Like Taserface yeah. is like a dumb name. Whereas it is dumb. Star. Yeah. I just found it. I just found personally that scene is going on forever about like a really dumb thing. So I didn't. I didn't particularly care for that. I I agree. The joke overstays its welcome, but I just think it is. I I, I just don't have a big problem with it. I don't think it's super okay. funny, but I it's like whatever. I have I a different think, question. To be honest. Yep. To be honest, Sorry. like just just uh, one more point on that. Uh, like the the whole taser face thing didn't get me this time. But, like, when Rocket says scrotum hat, that still got me laughing, you know? I think that's the funnier part of the joke this time around for me, personally. That one didn't get me either. Because nah. that's also, that's wavering dangerously close to the James Cameron, like, shut up, <laughs> knuckle, knuckle ass. <laughs> like, no, but, like, that's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's so accurate, though, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's uh, not, because he doesn't wear a hat. Like, no, like, I he think looks, he's talking he about looks, his his hair, no? He looks more like Scrotum Face. Scrotum Face yeah. would have been funnier. Oh I don't know God. where the hat comes from, but then Scrotum Face is too close to Taser Face, and it's a whole yeah. different mm-hmm. thing. No, Here's a question I, for you guys. I thought that was funny, though. Yeah, Here's a question that? for you guys. What is a moment that you did find funny? So we know we didn't like it generally, but are there moments that did work for you? I, I think Drax is generally very funny in this movie. I, he I is. think, like, most Drax things are, like, like generally hit. Like, I think the... Like, even the running gag of, like, Mantis' ugly. I think, like, that is actually, like, a funny thing. And I like you when think it that's comes funny? Ba- yeah, okay. that's, yeah, I think that's way funnier than the other parts. And I think the moment I like is when he's like, you are very beautiful on the inside. Like, that, <laughs> like that's actually a funny callback to the joke, I think. I agree. Two of the funniest moments that I had written down were Drax moments. Um, one when he's stabbing the beast from the inside at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah, dimensional yeah, thing. Great, he's going, yeah. ah! <laughs> <laughs> making no progress. <laughs> and then also yeah. like like the Anulax battery joke where Krillin's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like they're Anulax batteries <laughs> and immediately after he's like, what are these Harbulary batteries? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that actually made me laugh like too hard. Like, the, I don't know, like, something about, like, the simplicity of just, like, he just completely, like, it's not even close to what was said. <laughs> it's also one of those tricky things where you have to come up with a funny word, and Harbulary yeah. is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, how yeah. they came up with that, but it works so well. Anulax, not funny. Harbulary <laughs> being the difference. Oh, man, that kills me. Drax is Drax is definitely goofier in this movie, but that is the one the one character where that works for me. Where I'm like, I don't yeah. care if he's goofier; he's great. Peter I also Diva. oh sorry. I I also do I like um, I like when he's laughing at pointing at laughing at Peter yeah. too, and I think that a lot of it is just from Dave Bautista's Dave Bautista's performance. Like he's just very like he just does it so perfectly. Where it's like so over the top how he's pointing and laughing at him. Um, yeah, and then when Mantis cousin, yeah, I like Mantis Drax is the funny, yeah, yeah, it's great, yeah, great moment. Drax is Drax is a gem. He's gonna die though. In Guardians Three, he he yeah. might die. Uh, people listening walk to this off probably into the know. sunset. You think, uh, yeah. Peter? Why don't you tell us? Is there a moment that you found 
genuinely funny. I love Drax. Drax is great. Uh, I didn't find the Mantis ugly thing that funny this time around, though. I'm, I'm pretty sure I laughed really hard at that the first time, but not this time. I actually really liked Rocket this time around uh, a lot more. Or at least I, can lo- I noticed Rocket a lot more this time. Uh, when they were arguing, when they were flying through the asteroid field, that was really great. Him and Peter. I just find him and Peter's banter being like a highlight of this movie. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the funniest part of the movie, but I just thought it's A, very fitting for both their characters, and B, just it's so charming to listen to them talk. So, And that's, um, it's so upsetting that they're not together in this movie for almost like the entire time. They're, they're together for a bit. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because the point of the film is the Guardians do have to separate to become yeah, stronger. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the whole yeah. concept. But mm-hmm. I, I do agree that yeah. uh, Rocket is a really great foil for Quill. Like they just bounce off of each other really well, which is also strange for a character who is played by a different person in the movie than on set, right? Like yeah. that's Sean Gunn who's doing the, the performance on set. So that's, that's impressive to make that work so well. And I actually, I will say, like, j- just really quick, circling back to the thing I said where the opening feels staged to me, you notice how, like, Rocket never feels staged? It never feels like they're saying, look at this green tennis ball and say <laughs> your lines to him. And, like, yeah, yeah like, I, I feel like, and I think that's because that's someone's performing there, and I feel like no one is performing there with them in the opening sequence. Mm, for it feels mm-hmm. like they're looking, he, they're looking at a tennis ball in the sequence. I see. That's, that's a fair point. And actually, I realized one of my other final points of moments that I found were funny was actually um, a Peter Quill rocket moment. It's when they're doing the Groot detonator sequence, which in itself is pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I like that sequence and, too. And uh, Rocket asks Quill if anybody has tape, and they just hold yeah. on Rocket and Groot, <laughs> yeah. as you can hear in the distance, Quill asking everybody if they have tape. Yeah. That's just like, that and works so es- well. The escalation of, like, when Drax, it's a pilot Drax said scotch tape, and then he's like, well, if you didn't have it, then why did you say scotch tape? And dude, that yeah. joke was so obvious, too. Like, I totally saw that coming, but I still laughed. But I think it's so funny. I, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the implication that Drax says, would scotch tape work? Like, yeah. that is so funny. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, would. Why would you say that if you don't have it? I also, oh also at that point, I think, like, Bradley Cooper also, like, is always very funny delivery as well. Where, like, like the second time that Groot points to the same thing, like, he does the exact same thing, and Bryce's like, no, that's exactly what you just said! <laughs> I think it's really funny. Dude, your audio was, like, peeking or something. We didn't get any oh, of sorry. that. That's so funny. Um, okay. Whew. Okay, we gotta take I it I think down. it's fine on my Audacity recording. <laughs> it probably will be fine. Um, so, we're gonna start getting into some of our other points. We've been talking about a lot of stuff so far, but, uh, let's talk about directing. Uh, so sure. I think that it's interesting. I think I think this one feels more confident in its directing. I think James Gunn. It, I think it's clear that James Gunn kind of like has learned a lot from his first Guardians movie. I think I think the thing that is definitely better is I think the performances are more consistent. Absolutely. I think yeah. I think that in the first Guardians movie, there's a couple of moments where I was like that didn't feel genuine like a character says something and i didn't believe it 
And I don't mm-hmm. think that's present at all in this movie. I think the characters are very consistent. So both uh, an improvement in individual performances and in the general direction. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like it's the tone is also the job of the director. So I didn't I didn't appreciate that. But I do think that at least in terms of getting performances, I think the directing has improved in this movie. Um, I also think in terms in terms of coverage, I have kind of ambivalent feelings where it's like, on one hand, I actually think some of like the most expressive shots in the MCU are in this movie in particular. Yeah. Like, namely, one of the ones where, where Peter is just listening to music on the spaceship on the way to Ego. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a good shot. The one where Mantis and Drax are sitting on the steps and it's an extreme wide. And, like, it, there's actually, like... It's a very pretty use of CG. Like this, I think the CG looks great in that scene. Um, but then at the same time, like I pointed out, where almost every every two shot is so like lame and feels without purpose in this movie. And I think across the MCU, I always feel that. And like I personally, in my experience, I think two shots are hard because, like, just having when two characters are just standing facing each other. And you just go from the side and it's just like kind of eye eye level and you're just looking at them. Like it's just for me, like it is genuinely hard to make that interesting sometimes. But I don't think I, I think this movie doesn't do a good job of it. So it's like a weird coverage thing, but I would say overall I actually I like the shot design a lot better in this movie. When Gamora and um and Nebula are fighting, there's a really fun kind of Sam Raimi-ish camera movement where it like it's like a wide angle that like swoops into both of them as they're facing off, and that's really fun. Uh, so yeah, I actually I like a lot of the directing in this, but it, some of it feels off to me. I yeah, I noticed that um, there's a couple shots. I think I think what's interesting about this movie is James Gunn goes more for the wide shots than maybe yeah. he did in the first and one. And I really loved most of the wides, actually. Yeah, so there's the one that you're talking about is actually one of the shots that made it into my document that I have, my Google Doc yeah. of screenshots I, I pull. And so I'm looking at it right now, and I love that shot so much because it's like, not only is it a wide shot, but like Peter, it's it's like a medium shot in the sense that you only see his torso, mm-hmm. and he's just like on like a really small part of the screen. And I think this this movie is more colorful, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, he injects a lot of color into it that was kind of lacking in um, the first film. Also, just looking at the shot uh, that I grabbed when, also in the Gamora Nebula scene, but right at the start when she's on her own, she is framed in the exact same way as Quill is on the ship. Like they're in the yeah, same yeah, yeah. part yeah. of the screen, and like. That's directing, baby. <laughs> like, like really planning your shots to make like mm-hmm. send a message. These are characters who feel alone, and I wouldn't be surprised if you try and go through the movie if you find some of the other guardians are framed similarly. Maybe that they feel alone, thing. but they're linked too. Like it creates a kind. Of, yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think that was really cool. Um, just the wide shots in general, and ego ship looks really cool. Uh, and yeah. they have the famous dolly zoom in this movie when. Oh, they uh, do. Yeah. Peter's oh the, the there's happens. something weird about it there's something really and it, it's in the eyes the way the eyes bulge yeah. out towards the end of it and I think it's because they're CG eyes up to a certain point and then they're real eyes um. like that's my that's my theory and that's why it's just a little bit off that the eyes come out like the the way the eyes come out are is not following the dolly zoom in the same way that the rest of the face is 
that's my theory i don't don't know if that's true that's just what it seems like to me it was something weird but i just i just figured it was probably like the distortion of the face like it gets to Mm. a point where his face looks like fairly normal for most of it and then towards the end it's definitely like his i think his face is getting like squished and like also pulled depth well yeah they're going from long to wide they're doing yeah 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 so that's a that's a really good moment and just like yeah, like a moment where the camera movement is, you know, evoking what the characters are feeling. Um, I also did notice, I, I forgot you had mentioned this, the Sam Raimi fight thing. I, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't pinpoint it to him, but I, I, I had to replay it because I was like, oh, that was really cool. And yeah. I noticed that as the camera moves in, they added like a swoosh sound effect. Yeah. So it's like swoosh. Yeah. There's actually a couple moments where, like, the camera seems like it's in-world. So there was that. Yeah. And Groot bumps cool. up against the camera in, in the intro. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, like, he, like falls into it. And you hear, like, a thunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, the sound of him hitting the camera. There's also, also in the Gamora Nebula fight, there's another, like, uh, kind of wide shot of, like, them kind of silhouetted by the burning ship. And they're kind of, like, mm. crouched over, tired on the ground. That's a really nice shot, too. Nice stuff, yeah. Peter, do you have any thoughts on direction or the visuals? Uh, like, visuals, I think it's prettier than the first one, to be honest, just because the location we visit. Uh, but when it comes to directing, I think my focus is less so on the camera work. I think it's always been excellent. First one, uh, the, the, uh, the shots and the cinematography is great, and this one is amazing as well. But I think the huge prompts on directing when it comes to characters, because... Um, some of these emotions that we feel, especially when surrounding Yondu's death, they need to be executed in a certain way where we need to empathize with the character. Otherwise, we will feel not immersed in the moment and it won't work. And the fact that both you and me got sort of sucked into that moment and able to sort of empathize with Quill and also uh, feel Yondu's sacrifice is just fantastic. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Really good like, stuff. Yeah. like the. I do think that the fact that this one makes me ball and like at several different moments, not just one moment, as opposed to the Guardians one where even like at the climax, I don't I don't really cry that much at all. Like maybe I get a little teary eyed for like when when it's uh, Peter hold my hand like that one, like doesn't hit quite as hard as some of the moments in this one. Um, Mm. And I I will say. Yep. I, I didn't I didn't cry at either movie, but I actually did feel upon rewatch more emotional in the first one. Interesting. Like in scenes like the when the scene where it's like I'm you're asking us all to die, like that scene's very emotional mm-hmm. for me. And then also when they're holding the Infinity Stone at the end, that scene's very emotional for me too. It's a good movie. And and yeah. not to say that one doesn't make me emotional. I just I there is one that hits more for me, but mm-hmm. um another thing about directing is characters. Uh, we have a lot of character interactions in this movie, um, and I think that's also a strength of the writing of this movie. Uh, the first one I have on our list is uh, Gamora and Quill unspoken thing. So yeah, I really like how Gamora and Quill's relationship is explored in this movie. I like that it's yeah. not it's not a guaranteed thing like one might assume it was from the first one. It's something that is still not really a sure thing. I I wrote down that it was a situation ship which is uh some kind of common lingo for uh the youth these days but 
Um, I like that they're, uh, they call it their unspoken thing because they're both kind of like afraid to admit that they have feelings for one another. And I think that speaks to the greater theme of that we will kind of keep touching on as we continue, but ego versus family and how ego gets in the way of family, ego being like, like looking out for yourself. And so they're both prioritizing their egos of like, yeah, I'm cool. I don't need you. And they both kind of feel that way and aren't, they're afraid to say that they like each other, you know? Um, but it's like the small moments between them where they're like holding hands or like, like there's a really good moment where they're just kind of like glancing at each other and they don't want to lock eyes. Um, yeah, I like these, I like this romance for the MCU. Like it's not, I don't think there's any romance that is as, well, maybe WandaVision, but. I no, I like it too. I really and like I this one, yeah. While watching it, I was like, damn, it sucks that they fucking killed her. <laughs> like <laughs> Like and I I remember reading something where James Gunn didn't know that that was happening <laughs> until he read it and then he was like, What the fuck? like what? <laughs> it's like well, man, great. that, that sucks. Get, uh, did they ever get hardship in uh, Infinity War? What? What? Because you said it was a soft ship, ship, right? Oh, like, like, okay. So they're not like. Did they ever really become a thing? A, in I think maybe in Infinity War they kind of were. Because what I, I did notice is in the two remember. Guardians movies, they actually never kiss. Yeah. They're close a couple times, but they never do, and I think that's kind of like because they're like the the climactic moments is always like we're family. And family yeah. is kind of like stronger than kissing, <laughs> and it's a little weird. <laughs> kind of like, like we're family, and then you kiss, and it's like well, that's kind of weird. Um, so I'm glad that. Oh they no, don't. I I just think the phrase "family is stronger than kissing" is a fun. <laughs> That'll be the quote that I'm remembered for. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they just kiss in Infinity War. I haven't seen it in a while, but they might. I don't. Well, I remember. I just. I do remember that. Like the reason Peter goes apeshit on Thanos is because Gamora's dead. Gamora, yeah. 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 But I do appreciate this sort of like soft romance approach, though. I think it's Mm. honestly like more sexy compared to just like oh let's kiss or like like I think it's like it's really cute and also really fits their character again on the consistency point. and also, it's just, like, really fresh as well. Because I don't think this has been done very often. Where, like, there's huge, te- like, romantic tension between the two characters. And you just never fully ship them. <laughs> well, it's think, like uh, it's like what people say about modern MCU. Where it's just, like, sexless and, like, romantic tensionless. And, yeah. Whereas, like, these movies feel like they're... Like, there actually is something there, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Agreed. Do you guys have a, a character relationship in this movie that you found interesting that we haven't talked about yet? So we already talked about Yondu and Rocket, and yep. then Peter and Rocket, Drax and Gamora. Peter and Rocket. We've done, we've only done Yondu and Rocket and Gamora and Quill. We've talked about Peter and Rocket a little bit. We could, yeah. we could dive a little bit deeper into it if you want to. I, I yeah, I mean, Honestly, like, I, I like my piece on that, so. Yeah, I think I mostly have two. Like, they, they're both hard-headed. You understand where they're coming from. Like, obviously, they'd butt heads. Um, and I like that the resolution is, like, they still can't exactly address it because those characters wouldn't be able to just outright say, like, 
I love you, Peter. <laughs> like they wouldn't like they wouldn't say that. And so I like that it it's just Rocket going like, and they didn't leave him. And then Peter's like, yeah, of course they didn't. And like like that's a good like that's a good moment. It's no, it's, it is really good. Um, yeah. I think those two are the ones who have to drop their egos the most out of the group. Mm-hmm. They're like the most hot headed, and that like that as their closure is so good. Um, I also think it's interesting that like anyone can kind of like sway Peter if they just like um, I don't forgetting what the phrase is, but like flatter his ego, right? So like Aisha, mm-hmm. the the gold lady says something yeah. nice about him and all of a sudden he's like like totally forgotten about Gamora and he's like yeah we could fuck for scientific purposes like you know just for science <laughs> uh and that's yeah. kind of like also how ego the villain gets him because he's like like giving him everything he wants and then he just kind of forget again forgets about Gamora yeah well it's, yeah it's also like I like the line Gamora says where it's like no that's a fantasy and this is real and you're afraid of what's real so you're running you're turning to fantasy what I think is like that's a great line especially for him who in some ways has not progressed past a child because when he was a ch- like that was the last time that he received like normal parenting and normal growth was when he was a child so in some ways he's stuck there it's it's definitely that like arrest development thing, and that's why all of his references and he's he's quite a, like a juvenile character. Like yeah. I I think back to like think back as if I didn't see this movie today when the the third act battle he turns into Pac Man, like that's mm-hmm. what a kid would do, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, any other character relationships that uh, you liked? There's a couple other ones that I could bring up. Uh, I don't know. What do you want to do? What do you, you, you clearly, well, I like Gamora I'm trying Nebula. to lead. Okay. Uh, like Gamora Nebula, like I, that's an interesting one because I like Damn, I actually need to think about this point more. You say what you need to say first. Sure. Um, yeah, the Gamora Nebula one is fun. Um, it's that like, I like that they develop what was sort of planted in the first one, but not really explored at all and how it's these actual siblings who have kind of like been they've been evil to each other and they need to learn to get past that and get past their pasts their shared past and start treating each other with respect and like actually like look out for one another instead of looking out for themselves it's the ego thing again right like they're they're trying to it's choosing self-preservation over preservation of the other person um i also just really like when they save nebula from the sovereign and peter quill goes um family reunion yay <laughs> like a little yeah. quiet yay but there's there's not much more to that point than that but yeah i don't i don't, I don't know that much to say to it either okay uh last character interaction i had was drax and mantis that one's mostly played for uh, comedy, but I do think yeah. it's it's interesting that like it still follows the theme where Drax is being a, a, a huge dick to Mantis because of like <laughs> yeah. that ego thing. He doesn't want to let her in. He's trying to push her away because it'll you know stop either of them from hurting or whatever. And so he's in in a very comical way being like, "Oh, you're so hideous. You're ugly, right?" But it's still the same thing. He's pushing people away so that he can be safe. 
Um, I also, also, I do think, I think he just believes that too. And like, he just has to, like, he thinks she's hideous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that one, uh, Drax and Mantis is unique though, because it's in the case where Drax is pushing Mantis away and Mantis, because she's never had proper social interaction, believes that is the norm. That's why so she's sort of reciprocating in a similar way or just like agreeing with Drax instead mm-hmm. of like where it's like Peter and Gamora where like both they have they're damaged people, they have traumas from the past, so they're pushing each other away because they're personal reasons. So That is true. It's yeah. Pretty interesting. Um yeah. but uh yeah, let's maybe start talking about some of the writing things that we uh maybe take issue with. So um Aiden, what was one of your bigger ones we'll start with something that you had um yeah i mean like my main problem is that yeah so my main problem is that the a plot of this movie uh which is peter and gamora and drax on ego's planet and we don't know what ego's intentions are we don't know what he's doing like that's the a plot of this movie there's so little that has to happen it doesn't develop very much to the point where, it, like, actually not that much of the movie is even dedicated towards it. Like, there are long periods of time where we are not cutting back to it. And we're we're yeah. with Rocket and Yondu and whatever. And that's because, like, it's, like, nothing happens in it. And then right at the end, like, everything that, all the beats that should have been more spaced out happened. So, like, Gam- uh, Peter is, like, seduced, uh, seduced or groomed by um, Ego. And then that leads to Gamora getting mad at him. And then the master plan is revealed. Like, those are those should be way more spaced out than they are. Like, think about, like, the way we come into it is that Gamora convinces Peter to go. And that, but Peter doesn't want to. And so Peter has to be convinced. And Gamora also has to switch. And both of those moments are simultaneous. Like, they're, they're such quick turns. And they need to be, like, established earlier. Like, I think that... From the moment they get there, Ego needs to be, like, driving a wedge between them, and he isn't. And so, like, like that would make this movie a lot stronger. Because it's the same thing we're talking about, where it doesn't feel like the group is at stake, because it like, feels like nothing's threatening them till the end. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's fine to not know what the whole master plan is, but we have to start, like cluing in like okay something's very wrong and obviously we automatically assume that but we have to have like a semblance of like what that is i think i think an interesting thing as well would have been like if mantis from the beginning seemed like she wanted to tell them something like she wanted to tell them but it's it's not for a long time where she actually does it like yeah, I, I think right away gamora should have been suspicious of mantis for example it's weird that like she just sees that she was about to say something and didn't, and that's Gamora's, like, whole turn, where it's, like, no, like, you sh- she should have been su- suspicious of Mantis from the beginning. So, I, yeah, I think that there just isn't enough development, and things just happen too rapidly in that A-plot there. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with you. And that's, like, uh, Alex has a segment about what we want to change about the movie. That's one thing I want to change. Um, I think, especially when you consider the context where... Uh, there was this sort of like soft romantic moment between Peter and Gamora where they're sort of like, you know, there's this thing, there's that. And then all of a sudden, the whole scene turns on its head. It's like, oh my God, why are you trying to take this away from me? You're an asshole. Get the fuck out. You know, I, yeah. like 
there was just zero setup to justify that change and also it feels a really odd change to occur in a scene like that um so i absolutely agree with you and i really like uh the change that you suggest which is ego sort of trying to drive the wedge between peter and his guardians at the very beginning so yeah love love that no i absolutely agree with you yeah i think we're all on the same page here i think um the biggest issue with this uh movie is that once we reach ego we just hit a standstill where we are yeah. stuck on that planet until the bitter end and there's um, no conflict there for a while yes yes you're right and yeah. there's no conflict so i think um i don't know like what you could do to have like a god like i don't know an f plot an e plot like how many freaking plots there are in this movie but like something for them to kind of like 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 a fake conflict maybe you know, like establish like ego has like a fake conflict to keep Peter there would sure. be maybe something, but um, yeah, 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 like like ego provides a different reason for why he needs Peter there initially, yeah. and so yeah, 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 that could work well, yeah, yeah, but like like just before we get into some ideas we have, but um, the first thing I want to say is uh, one I also don't like um, like the visuals of it. It's like CGI land. It's very, it's giving quantum realm is what I wrote. I completely disagree. I actually really, really like the way Ego's planet looks. I think Just it like, generally looks really cool. It's well designed and it's like pretty colors. I think it's, I think it's designed well, but I think just aesthetically, it's not something that I take to. Um, I think what does to play predators advocate against myself, um, I will say that like the idea that it's a CGI fake landscape kind of plays into the idea that this is an illusion and so in kind of like a meta way, like this is not a real um, place like the Gamora's argument, but um, Peter. Well, I also think of- like oh. that, that landscape has to be CG. They can't do that practically. You set design the, like sort. the sprawling plains not the sprawling plains you can't but, you set... know like <laughs> it's like sure like the, the like castle and stuff sure yeah and, yeah yeah i don't know i personally didn't mind that it's cg at all i think the problem with quantum realm is it lacks identity big time uh, but like this place big time. has uh has a sense of identity it's like especially I... when ego's sort of walking through peter it's like hey this is my backstory i'm giving you uh, uh some some context about who i am and how i came to be it it gives the audience a sense that you're in a museum and ego sort of narrating through exhibits of himself and that's just such an amazing feeling um and like it all fits together as well it's like this really like deep down very narcissistic person um you know having this huge grand palace on a planet that's like you know crazy shit like bubble floating in the air this platform floating around it like whole thing speaks ego and matches his character which i thought is super great because like the place is him right so yeah i oh (laughs) stuff's going on in the background i think that um like just to kind of summarize what i was saying i think that what's weird about this and this is kind of circling back is that like this is like a very kind of archetypical story. Like you've seen this thing where like in the sequel, 
they have come together in the previous movie and now they're being their strength their relationship is being tested and the leader is being pulled away from them by some other thing and i wish i could think of a better example but the only example i can think of is one of the bionicle movies no i have which... one okay <laughs> okay yeah you go <laughs> yeah dude this empire strikes back like it's literally yes, yes, the yes, yes, same because yeah, yeah. Luke has to go to Dagobah and he's separated from the rest of the oh, group. I don't mean that exactly. I actually mean more like, like the, the character is being tempted to, like almost turn against the group. Like he's being convinced that the group okay. is bad for them, and like that's mm. it's like a thing you've. S- yeah, no, the I only agree. example I can think of is the, the third Bionicles. Bionicles. But, okay. <laughs> but I know it's a it's a thing more than that. Um, uh, and no. I feel like they're 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 resisting the idea here. They don't want there to be as much conflict between the guardians as there needs to be. Yeah, I don't know um, any other examples of that particularly, but I can uh, suggest that we can start our suggestion point. So, sure, some ideas of like what this movie could have done uh, to kind of like avoid some of those problems that we had. And I had one that I wrote in the the review i did some time ago for my rewatch and i i came to it and at first i wasn't so sure about it but i've i've come around on it again and my idea was that um ego ego's plan feels weird to me in that he wants to spread his being across the universe it feels very like i want to destroy the universe just with a twist Mm -hmm. on it which is always the most boring thing ever because it's like it's like i don't i can't understand that who would do that why now for a god it's also not like it doesn't feel personally tied to the characters where it's like yeah they had a relationship to like xandar in the first one and it's like established like i i i couldn't tell you if it feels like xandar being at stake feels like it matters in the first one yeah more than this where everything feels so impersonal despite it's it's the I think it's the idea of scale when everything is at stake, nothing is at stake because mm. it's not personal anymore. It's universal. Um, so I've I've always had a problem with the the stakes in this movie is they're just too big. It's gotten too big for uh, its own good. And so my suggestion is make the stakes incredibly small. Don't threaten the entire universe because who gives a shit? We're gonna do it again in the next two movies, right? Infinity War. Like mm. why would you do it early? So my idea was that ego should ego's whole goal should just be to have someone to spend eternity with. And so he's creating progeny to spend time with. And that's all Peter wants. So then his goal should be keep Peter with him forever. Keep him as his son for the rest of eternity. Who poses a threat to that? The Guardians of the Galaxy, because they want to bring him away and spend their lives together elsewhere. And to save people, there's probably a threat that they can try to turn their attention to. And Ego says, no, don't go. Stay with me. And it's it's that challenge of, like, what Quill wants the most. And I don't know. I, so that was my idea. My, um, my problem with that is that, like, I, I, why doesn't Ego just go with them to places? And stuff? Like, I don't feel like that doesn't create... Peter doesn't have to choose between Ego and the Guardians in that scenario, I don't think. Like, not really. I do think there... I think there has to be some reason that he needs 
Peter beside him that is misguided and incorrect according to the morality of the movie. It, mm. I think it has to be more than just he ju- is just lonely because then he's not even really a villain. Like even though he's been killing the, it's the same thing where it's if he if we then find out he's been killing all of them, it's like, okay, but he's not gonna kill Peter because he likes Peter, so there's not a like but there's not might, a problem there. Yeah, but I if the guard like. If the Guardians try to bring him away, then he might kill the Guardians, which is something that why? Because they're trying to bring Peter. Like it's like this overbearing father figure, where it's like he doesn't want Peter to leave him, you know. And also early on in the movie, he actually explained that he can't leave his planet for longer periods of time because he needs to come back to his power source. Yeah, but he can leave long enough to like go to Earth and like fall in love with a woman like like he can he can leave for a decent amount of time so it's not like like i i feel like the resolution to that would in that scenario ego's not even that bad of a guy for one thing and like that he needs to be a worse guy for the movie to work i think like he needs to be wrong it needs to be it needs to be strictly incorrect for peter to choose ego and in that scenario, it's not necessarily wrong for him to do it would that. Be, it would be taking that idea to the extreme of, like, the super overbearing parent who mm-hmm. doesn't allow him to leave and says, no, I want you all to myself. I don't want to share you with other people. That has been seen in other media. This isn't the first time um, that villain has been a thing. I think the only problem with that, though, is you lose out on the uh, Yondu backstory plot where... Um, you know, he sort of feels guilty about sending all the kids towards Ego, towards, like, their death, technically. Um, you can still and... keep the death thing if they're not suited to... Like, if what if instead of their, they don't have the power... Or, like, that can be part of it, but, like, you know, Ego just grows tired oh, of them and he doesn't like that them, or sense. they don't have like, the power to the... live forever. Yeah, exactly. You need the power to live forever anyways. Exactly, yeah. Or maybe he wants, like, I don't know... A god, a god son. He wants like, like a, a son to be god with him. And I actually, he... I think in that scenario, it works better if people live on ego. If there's like a, mm. like a, a group Maybe. of people that need to be like liberated. Like okay, I think yeah. that's actually oh, like dude, I think that's just quantum mania over quantum again, mania. man. Don't do that. <laughs> no, but you, like that story isn't wrong. Like quantum mania, that's. That's not a terrible idea that, like, they go in here and then... It's not as good in Quantumania because who is Kang to them? Kang is no one. So, what, like, turning on Kang isn't a big deal, whereas turning on his father is a big deal. But, like, no, Quantumania just executes that terribly. It's not an inherently bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, do you guys have other ideas of how you would fix this plot problem? I think Aiden just hit it, hit the nail in the head, to be honest. Just, like... Ego tries to drive Peter away from the Guardian yeah. family ASAP. I think that's perfect. That keeps the conflict very contained and also justifies the actions of the of Peter later on. I think that's just a really great way to execute it. And also it's a way to, like you said, break up the Guardians in a sense that they are separated uh, both in terms of like physically and also emotionally because like the bond is sort of they're losing the bond that's holding them together. Yeah. So you I, you would okay. still keep the universal threat then? I think that's fine. Like it's just a backdrop, anyways. Like like, well, um, it's more about um, like I didn't for me personally, I didn't buy into like Ego's whole thing at all. I don't think uh, 
like in terms of script they did a good job explaining like why he's doing this in the first place he's just like i found meaning and the meaning is i gotta take over the universe it's like there's something missing there there's a problem Um, with that because it's dumb yeah yeah. No, I so I agree that there shouldn't be a takeover of the universe thing. Although it is like the reason is that like he he never had any family and he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to like take care of people or like be a family member. And so like he is this he like he represents like the opposite of what Peter needs. And so like there is like some reality and like wanting the entire world to just be him is like antithetical to what Peter needs to learn. And so there is something there, but I also agree that it's not interesting that he just wants to take over the universe. Like, and that's why I think like it needs to be like, again, if, and maybe this is a dumb idea, but something like this, if there are people living on ego for whatever reason, (laughs) and he's, and he's not, and he's doing something wrong. He's not a good leader. He's doing something bad to them. He's whatever then there's like a very then we meet some of these characters and we learn a little bit about them and we have a personal connection to them and so they have to be saved whereas like just random people on random planets like that just feels like whatever hey, even even it can even if it's be like uh it can be like a wanda vision scenario where it's like egos somehow like mess with their heads yeah to make them no actually yes them. yeah yeah or like EO is trapped but, in there, or something like but that. But that's yeah, really that Wanda Vision. <laughs> he needs more mantises, basically. Like, what if he? What if his whole planet, instead of killing his kids, what if his planet was all of his kids? It's <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, just maybe. like, like yeah. that's kind of scary, you know. Mm. And then you have a planet full of Star Lord's siblings, like half siblings. <laughs> that's kind of fucked. Um, there are some other issues with the plot, though, not just what we've described. Um, there's. I think let's let's talk about like the big stuff first. So like the third act isn't great either. Um, I do think that it's a lot of like kind of like meaningless things are happening or like things that are hard for at least me to kind of like care about. I think the third act escalates really nicely in the first film where it's very clear like don't let the re- the the ship reach the surface and we have to stop Ronan and like all these very clear outlines. And this time it's like, shoot the rocks. And it's like, I don't even understand how, like yeah. how much firepower do you need to fight rocks? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a feudal, like it's just a buying time thing until another thing yeah. can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same, a lot of yeah. shooting at rocks and then the sovereign come back randomly. And then they're quickly dealt with. Yeah. Quickly. <laughs> so quickly very quickly done <laughs> yeah. it's a very messy third act um yeah. although i, I will I'm, say what what i like about the third act is that it, it is like the point of clearest conflict in the entire movie so it actually does feel sure. compelled better in some ways for me like like i think the third act the biggest problem with the third act to be honest it's just it's too easy you know what i mean like like you don't you think like taking down an entire planet is very hard and difficult but it's literally Mantis putting the threat to sleep when they were cooking up the plan. And then when they're actually executing the plan, oh, we got to have this fight sequence between Peter and Ego. So we got to have this, you know, two godlike dudes going at each other where Groot's panting the bomb. Um, like, it's a little more simplistic compared to the first one, for sure. And also, 
like the progression of the the battle is less clear compared to the first one where first one there's clear visual of the uh, the dark star or something crashing down into nova and like that's just an indication of how the battle is going um which is well clearly missing in this one but honestly like i don't think the battle was a point anyways i think this third act is literally just setting up for like a huge emotional payoff like yo like we care about quill his family and quill had his thing with yondu so ultimately like i think it works for me as like a movie but like it can definitely be done better but it can do that well also like having good third act it can set up for that and still have good third act sorry yeah, I, yeah. A, a movie can just be good you know that right <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't have to sacrifice one thing for another it can just no be good. for sure for sure um uh yeah i'm totally forgetting oh um i think maybe even just like like they go to the below the surface area so quickly like they just yeah. know exactly where to go immediately and then we're stuck there for yeah. quite a long time and i think maybe just part of the problem is they go too early like just have yeah some i agree of, actually some of the fight should be on the surface and kind of like feudal um fighting with ego as a god and then realizing oh we need to attack him at the source like there needs to be that realization yeah i also i don't know how you make it so you have to defeat him but i just think the idea of like he has a core he has a a brain and we need to blow it up is kind of lame yeah yeah like and i just think like yeah something more interesting but i i don't off the top of my head i don't know but yeah yeah i i do like how they use the harpillary batteries though like that's yeah yeah that's that's nice yeah it ties into it um what else oh i one thing I like and one thing I don't like about the third act, I <laughs> What are you doing? What are you <laughs> don't doing don't right worry now? about me. <laughs> okay. um, I'm worried a little bit. Um, I don't like... I'm a really anti-fan of power tendrils. Like the thing yeah, that, yeah. that Ego keeps sticking into Quill. I'm just like, that is so stupid. Like I, You yeah. see it when there's like mystical thing... Like, I'm going to draw the energy from you by sticking you in the chest with a power tendril. It's just, I think it speaks to, like, this general problem of things that I can't relate. Like, I can't relate to this anymore. That's not a threat that I understand because a power tendril is not a real thing that exists for us. Where some of the stuff in the first movie is a little easier to be, like, there's analogs to the real world, I guess. Sure. Infinity Stone? Say less. I'll get it. I knew you were going to joke about that. But, like, something <laughs> but with that's, a lot of... But that's analogous to, like, a, a weapon of mass destruction. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can understand that. I, I agree. I just don't know. Yeah, it's I a funny thing. I think you guys are like... being a little too picky. I think you no, guys are just no. questioning too much, to be honest. No, I, I agree. I, I think that it's not... It doesn't, I, you, it's a delicate balance where you should be able to do something that's fantastical and that is completely unrelated, but you have to like ground it in some way. So, okay. So for example, he's getting stabbed. That's something you can understand, but he's not wounded by it. Mm -hmm. Like that, like that's an example of it. Like he's just stabbed through and then it comes out and he's fine. And so it's like, if this is something that's stabbing him, then have it stab him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that might be part of it. It's just, just, just like, it it doesn't feel real. It feels like a CGI power tendril yeah. because it's when it's there, it's real. But when it's gone, it's it nothing happened. 
Also, or if it was like, is it draining him? Like, is the is it like if he's in it too long, will he yeah. like just like comatose? And but we know that's not true because Ego says to him, "I'll just do this to you for a thousand years." <laughs> and so it's like, th- there's actually there's no conflict inherent in the action of him being drained, other than he's taken out of the count. Yeah, and so yeah, I guess that makes sense. So like, the action doesn't really translate to you. Don't know what the action means. Exactly. Yeah. Is that what you guys getting at? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, with similar issues, is what happens when he gets power tendrilled is the blob. And I'm pretty sure that that's the movie they're referencing with the gray goo stuff on all the different mm-hmm. worlds is the blob, the 1950s horror film. But um, it's as, as fun as an homage that may be, it's very like, okay, very yeah. gross CGI blob that just aesthetically is like i don't know why they chose the most boring gray color for that that seems like a, an odd choice given how colorful yeah. ego is also like and then also just like people also, far like, away it's, well, we kind of talked it's about like, it's like he like he planted a plant right so do something that's like plant like something planty yeah. yeah i don't know yeah i agree with you um there are some plot contrivances in this movie. I don't know if you've caught any, but I can list a few. Um, Ego just, like, shows up at the start of the movie and, like, kind of literally is the deus ex machina. And I, I'll give it a pass only because uh, yeah. he is a god. And that's the point. <laughs> is, is the hand of God saves them from the battle and he is a god. So, like, maybe that's the point. But he really just, like, shows up out of the blue which is, I, I actually like, I guess like kind of the point, but I don't mind him saving him there because it actually helps propel the plot forward that he saves them like that like, and it's also not the biggest action that these characters need to take like, you kind of expect that this is gonna go wrong for them. It just kind of has to go wrong for them, and mm-hmm. so like, I actually think that they. Like, they can't really win by themselves in that moment. They have to... This has to establish they are divided, and because because Rocket and Quill can't get along, like, they're getting into trouble, and so they have to lose. So I actually think it's good that it's not because of them that they don't die there. Like, if that makes sense. Okay. It's, yeah. It actually works for me that they get bailed out for that reason, because because of the conflict they have there, the interpersonal one, they shouldn't be able to win by themselves. Fair enough. That makes sense. Um, some other ones, there's no guards in the Ravager ship who are like, yeah. and then, but. And but, then there are. <laughs> and then there are. That's what yeah. really bugged me. Yeah. Is if for yeah. one scene, the guards are suddenly there. And I was like, yeah. why, why would you even bother putting them there for that scene if yeah. they weren't there for any of the other scenes? Like, that was really strange to me. Uh, and yeah. the last one is just um, towards the end, the third act. Gamora and Nebula get out of Ego's undersurface because they jump on a podium yeah, yeah, that yeah. takes them to the surface. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's sick. really? That's a clever use of environment, I guess. But why like, is why, it... Why would why, Ego be doing that? Think about that's it like, ego. from a logic perspective. Why would Ego be sending podiums up to the surface? Like, that's not... It's not representative. Like, like if he was actually trying to form a particular part of his body... 
for example, like like if he wanted yeah. to make a giant face, let's say. I don't know why he would do that. But if he wanted to right. form a giant face, he would have to change the topography of his planet and then would have to move parts of his body. Capitalizing on that would make sense. But the podiums are completely random and do not yeah. then do anything specific. That is the problem. Yo, I have that's I wild. Because usually I'm the guy that wants everything to be somewhat related or like something going on the screen explained. I actually didn't mind that. <laughs> I find it so interesting. You have a problem with it. Um, I just think like, hey, like, don't look like that's not really something I question. You know, it's like, okay, it's happening. They're taking advantage of it. It's like, boom, up they go. It's a cool little sequence. Well, that's what I mean. It's a, it's a contrivance. You, it's like you can also like, just slightly tweak that and make it better like the thing you sure. just said yeah, alex yeah. where it's like if you just have a reason why he's moving the land then it's fine but there's I, no reason for him to do that i feel I like it's a huge issue anyways no right? i think it's, I, you I, have a i think it's a general problem with this script is that they've written it in such a way where they've gotten themselves into unsolvable problems yeah. and then they give the oh, easiest possible outcome that's to just yeah, that's move fair. forward. So the podium yeah. is, how do we get Gamora and Nebula out of there and make it about them? I don't know, uh, so, f- fucking podium. And like no, all no, the other I, ones I too. I like, like that. I like, the, I like the way you think. Instead of a more creative solution to the problem, they go with the yeah. easiest it, and this sort of deus ex yeah. scenario where they were saved by the environment, they're saved by ego, they're saved by that. Yeah. No, and I, I, agree, think I agree. Also, like it's, it feels like something that we started noticing later is that they rush production and that there was mostly on the more recent films but we kind of knew that they didn't have a whole lot of script writing time and i'm wondering if that's showing its head here a little bit like if it had another year to develop would they have fixed some of these script problems like were they rushed for production is something that i wonder and maybe we just didn't notice at the time yeah um I i don't know if you have any contrivances but i i have one other one but i'll i'll add, open it to the floor if you guys have any i am usually not on high alert for it because it's not something i like it's something that i'm generally able to forgive but in this movie i i found them less forgivable because because of like what you said where it's like wh- like why it, it feels like you put your characters into a corner and now it's like oh shit, I actually don't know, and I don't know how to get them out of there. And I've been there as a writer where it's like, you. I've written scenarios where it's like, I have no idea how the characters are going to solve this problem. And so you just put like a placeholder thing in, but then the placeholder thing just becomes the actual thing, and that's yeah. not good. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I have is when they crash land on Bear, Bear Hurt, and they try to fix the ship by... Now, now, ultimately, it doesn't matter that the ship is fixed or not because it doesn't get fixed and it stays there. So the ship doesn't, in, in the story, doesn't actually need to get fixed. They need to start fixing it. That's right. all that needs to happen. Rocket they need needs to, to just start, be split up for some reason. Spli- yeah, yeah, and Rocket needs to start fixing the ship because they intend to come back to it. Now, the issue I have is instead of it like being... Like, like they've set up a problem. They need to fix the ship. They've crash land on a planet with no people, seemingly. And the answer is just in their hands. Spray foam nanotechnology. Rocket has this, like, so 
like I don't know where the source is, but he just has like basically like one of those like what you have for like washing windows, like a gun that has like a nozzle and it's yeah, like a pressurized like, water gun. Yeah, but instead of pressurized water, it's pressurized nanobots <laughs> that are just reforming the ship. And I'm like it's it's that lack of tactility. Like I don't understand it it makes it more removed from our universe. Like I can't understand just fixing things. It takes away the conflict of like this needs to be fixed when you just have the solution at your fingertips and it's so fucking easy to just spray shit onto the ship and be like there it's fixed, you know? Yeah, Where's the what, work to that? What what I'll say is that it doesn't matter to me for the reasons we listed, which is that it fixing a ship doesn't matter. And I think like it's actually like a fine enough reason for me that like it's a fi- the fact that the shift is broken is a fine enough reason for me for them to split up and it would be a big problem for me if we dedicated more time to it but then the next time we're on the planet it's when the ravagers attack and so now mm-hmm. like the initial conflict of ship is broken so we need to stay here transforms into now the ravagers are after us exactly. and i think like I like that works for me and so like and i i don't mind the nanobots in this case because like we we were talking before like the Iron Man suit thing. I don't like that Iron Man suit is like a nanobot thing. That's an, that's frustrating. But this is like in Guardians, it's like, yeah, I just accept like this is how they fix it. I accept that it's going to take a bit of time, enough time for them to be here when the Ravagers attack. Good enough for me because we go right into the Ravager conflict next scene. Yeah. I do agree that it's not quite as egregious as it is later in the MCU, but you are bringing up the point that I eventually wanted to get to, which is in the MCU, nanobots are just ubiquitous, ubiquitous fuck, technology that like everyone just seems to have access to. And so yeah. most characters, helmets specifically was the thing that was trending on Twitter, are just nanotechnology CGI that disappear when they're unneeded. So we can see the actor's face because they yeah. you know, were paid big money to show their faces and then very quickly just cover it up with CGI. And it's, it's that tactility again, that is missing in that, that, um, yeah, that, yeah, that I just, I really don't like when you had to, you had, you, in the old days, you had to remove your helmet the old fashioned way by taking it off. And it's, that was a thing that was an action someone had to do. And that feels real yeah. to us. And yeah, just, you lose it. And so, I don't think the Guardians films doing this in this one small scene is what led to that. But I think it's part of a greater issue of nanotechnology just sure. being a, a quick band-aid for like, let's do something quickly, you know? Sure. And I think like, yeah, the suit example is definitely true. Like I remember Black Panther in Civil War versus the first Black yeah. Panther movie. Like I love the suit in the Civil War movie and then the suit doesn't feel like anything in his own movie. Because it's all, like, the nanotech shit, yeah. That was the, like, the saddest thing was how his suit downgrades yeah. from the movie he's introduced to in as a side character to his own movie. It's a worse yeah. suit. So, like, that made me so mad. Um, yeah. Last part about uh, writing, well, sort of. There's some character monologuing in this. It was based on what you said in the last movie, Aiden how characters will just suddenly break into their backstory yeah. unprompted. I started picking up on it this movie. Did you notice yeah. some of the, the ones this time? 
No, and I I think I was expecting it to happen this time, so I was just like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> like when yeah. it did happen, but yeah, I, I know I noticed it as well. There was there's two scenes that I caught. One is um, they're both the blue people. So Yondu when he's in the jail cell. He like he like sits down and then starts monologuing like immediately yeah. after entering the jail cell. He's like, you know, I was sold into slavery, and it's like, yeah. like if if your thing can start with you know, yeah. bad, <laughs> that means yeah. you're not doing a good job as a writer. And yeah. the the other one for me was um, Craglin asks uh, Nebula what she's gonna do with the money, and like that is a genuine question, so it's a little better. It's not completely unprompted, but then she's like hardcore monologuing, like my father used to take me apart, and da, 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 da. and then you yeah. know, and then with a dumb joke. No, no, they and then no, and then okay, Peter, let me finish. And then they they try to do the joke um, as a way to like bail themselves out of yeah. bad writing moment. Like they try to play it off as like oh she's monologuing as a joke which is like that i hate when writers do that where it's like but we know we're doing this thing so it's not a problem yeah. and yeah that's what that is you guys you guys are crazy for thinking that's a problem because that's just what 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 nebula is i think that's like a character moment for me and i think i buy that moment it's to be it's close to a character moment I why would she say that to craglin though I don't think she gives a fuck about well, Craig. She wouldn't say that. Well, well she would say it to Gamora she's, because she's invested. Sure. She's invested in the quest she's about to go on. You know. No, I, if, I think. I think, no. I think if Craiglin tell asked her that, she tells him to fuck off. Exactly. And that's it. Think of yeah. think would would Nebula from the first movie do this? And the answer is no. She like she was throwing people out of planes constantly yeah. in the first one and just like yelling at people. So she would yeah, she would literally be like shut up and leave. She nah. would only she would only open up to Gamora and she does later. So it kind of like it's kind of irrelevant that she yeah. does it in that scene. Like she just does it again later. You know? And if we fix it, if we fix this movie by having Gamora leave earlier, you can do that whole thing, yeah, and like have that be a, a you know an actual threat. Anyways, um, that's all for character monologuing. What did you guys think of Ego? Is Ego a better villain than Ronan was? I think Much so. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah, someone definitely. like I to think... elaborate? <laughs> no, I because well, it's like I I touched on it earlier where I think like he represents a better antithesis to what Peter needs to learn. Peter needs to choose family and he needs to choose real over fantasy and he needs to like understand who his family really is. And ego is the antithesis of all of that. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot better. It's a lot. Yeah, it's better. And also sure. this sort of like, like I really like it when villain has a personal stake in the protagonist, like they are actually related. So mm it's like higher stake both for the villain and for the hero uh, just because like they're related by blood and also peter had already has this sort of like like who is my father like i like i have this missing father figure as a kid well like in this one he he used this sort of movie this moment to identify actually i wasn't missing that father figure it's actually yondu but then like this sort of like it's more personal so it is more meaningful as well to both the protagonist and the audience as well, witnessing the relationship unfolds. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you guys. 
Um, last point that I had is just about the theme in general. Um, I think this movie maybe has a stronger thematic story than the first one even. I don't I don't know if I like it better per se, but I think I think more of the things and this has to do with like the fact that the antagonist is relevant for one, but mm-hmm. I think James Gunn has a stronger story that he's trying to tell. Story being sure. like what is it all about? And so what I picked up on is that and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is that I I think it's about like you have to put away ego and which is why it's great that the villain is also ego um in order to become a stronger family so this idea of like um ego is that like like the voice that says like i'm better than everyone else or like you can't like you can only look out for yourself and you have to kind of like shed that in order to become close with other people and all the guardians have a problem of pushing people away and we've kind of dissected them individually um what else did I have uh, about this? Um, Aiden, you want to jump in while I figure yeah, out? Yeah, I mean, I'll next? say I think it's a great continuation of the theme, the themes and the arcs from the first one, where it's learning to be learning to serve others rather than being self-serving, and further exploring like why characters are self-serving, even though like like being self-serving is actually against their best interest, which is to come together and love each other and be a family, um, but just like exploring why they're like that like and you have that with ron yondu and rocket not rondu and yocket um <laughs> uh yeah and i think that i think it's a good continuation i think like it, it fits it it fits the it continues the arcs from the first one really well yeah and i i guess this is kind of maybe its own sub theme under the same heading but there's like a theme of like bad parents so you have the sovereign who are just like very cold and are just trying to create the perfect progeny. They don't really um, care about any of them. And if you're not perfect, then, you know, fuck off. You have ego who is obviously like a terrible dad, maybe also cold in his own way, but like does try to foster a relationship, but for his own means you have Yondu who is not, the ideal dad he might have even been a little abusive but he's the he's not the stepdad he's the dad that stepped up yeah um and i i think what i like most of all though is that there's this idea of like um do you have to be your parents right so you have these bad parents but it's more like like who are you in spite of that you know, mm-hmm. so is Quill going to be his dad, right? That's that's the threat of the movie. Is he going to be the same as his dad? Sort of. Um, same with like like Nebula and Gamora are like like they have that shared issue of like what their dad did to them. Rocket has his issue of what his scientist quote unquote dad did to him. And what I really like is that the music then reflects this in that climactic moment where the song is Fleetwood Mac about break the chain you want to break that chain of like um f- familial like abuse and like yeah you have to break that you have to be good parents and so the guardians have to learn to be good parents to their child baby Groot but also like to each yeah. other they have to be good family right so that's that's my little yeah. spiel about what I think this movie is all about no, I, I think you're right any uh 
final thoughts about the movie? Anything? I've said my piece. Cool. Okay, uh, next week, uh, I doth believe that we will have recorded an episode for y'all uh, on the current Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, I guess we don't... It's kind of late for us to give our guesses for that movie, seeing as it will have been two weeks released when this comes out, but um, I just hope it's good. I hope we love it. I hope it's good, too. Yeah. I hope it... Yeah, and I hope it's better than this one. Even though I like Guardians 2 a lot, I hope it's better than the second one. Samers. Uh, if you like us, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Predator V Movies. We did so, not do our titular segment. Oh, my God. I skipped over it. Aiden, yeah. do you want to announce our titular segment? <laughs> <laughs> so, we do have a titular segment. Uh, it is called Predator vs. Movies, and this is where we determine if the movie would be, be- better. I almost said Bedditor by accident again. Now that it's in my head, yeah. it's like, it's going to be a problem. At least we this one is, like, they will know what we're talking about this time. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, we determine... Um, mm, uh, <laughs> We determined if this movie would be better if the Predator from the movie Predator was in it. Uh, no, it wouldn't. Probably not. Dude, what if the Predator's like one of his kids? No. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That would be cool. That's a good spot for it. I don't know. Anything to spice up the act too? Like, you might find sure. a way, but I don't... It doesn't really feel natural for sure. Mm. There's um, a Ravager faction of Predators. There you go. There you have it. Yeah, I think that works for me. Uh, I did already plug our Twitter and Instagram, but I'll keep plugging <laughs> away. Um, if you like my thoughts on movies, check me out on Letterboxd at underscore Alex Gordon underscore. I leave reviews sometimes, but more often shorter, quippy things. Uh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd. That's 810sunny. That's 810-S-O-N-N-Y. My name is Wombo. I also leave reviews sometimes. They're generally short little guys, but uh, you might get a longer one sometimes. Maybe. And uh, Peter, do you have anything to plug? No, sir. Thank you. Uh, you. You know, know what that means. means. <laughs> <laughs> Father, just want to take it. <laughs> That's it. You guys know what it means, right? <laughs> hey, you guys know. At this point, you guys have an idea. Yeah. I mean, like, just in case if you don't, <laughs> uh, it does. It does actually kind of mean that you have to leave a review. You're kind of contractually yeah. obligated. Uh, so yeah. give it a give it a five star rating. Um, give it a like, uh, comment. We like hearing comments and we'll post a comment and yeah. we might even mention it. I should check if we have any comments. We will definitely um, mention it. And leave a review if you like us. It helps us. It helps us grow. And uh, also just tell your friends. It gets more people to listen to our lovely voices. Um, I guess that's it. So uh, until next week, uh, I've been Alex. I'm Groot. <laughs> oh, you're I totally oh, forgot. Yeah. oh man i totally forgot who you were Dude, this whole awesome. time nice callback. yeah I... great i made it we're <laughs> <laughs> just really impressed with peter right now yeah. uh, and this was predator versus movies uh see you next week